This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Hope uh, all is well. As you get back into the swing of things, this is the Matt Townsend Show along with Terry South and, of course, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We're bringing you the latest and greatest, the information you need to know to, to grow healthier, happier lives. Happy Monday to you. I still have a cough. Congratulations. And it's like embarrassing. I had a coughing fit in the middle of my church lesson. Huh. What do you do? Well, we've had some uh, political candidates who have had similar situations in public speaking. We used scenarios. to laugh at Hillary because of this. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. That was did, me. Did someone get you a glass of water? <laughs> well, no, everyone kept asking, do you want water? And I'm like, well, am I going to pour it down my lungs? It's, water's not going to help this. Now I think you're giving something to me, too. Did you, you have, have a, it? You noticed my very wide voice this morning? Yeah, baby, very wide. Did you have a personal assistant with access to your email server scrambling around trying to help? No. Oh, you need one of those. I need one of those. I did have a... I did decide to go get a black van, like Ooh. a Scooby-Doo van. Yeah. And I had a hard time getting in it the other day. And then they showed video of my feet just kind of collapsing. So you have people to drag you around? Yeah. Nice. Wait, a, a black van? Yeah. Are you selling ice cream or creeping out kids? Or both? Why not both? Why not both? Yeah, I've got this. It's not going away. And it's got, it's like a tween, I don't know what to call it. I can't cough it out of the top of my lung or the bottom of my lung. Hmm. I mean, it's like the bottom hurts when I cough. The middle, it's like I can't get a, I can't cough there. Don't you remember that children's story? No. You can't go over it. Mm. You can't go under it. Oh, wow. You got to go through it. I got to go through my cough. Is this like sediment settling to the bottom? I don't know. Sludge? Huh. Which is scary because that's what they diagnosed in my gallbladder, sludge. Right. Maybe my sludge has spread. Maybe it's a systemic problem all the way through. It's horrible. And... So I'm afraid if I move, if I exercise, if I exert, or if I laugh, wow. I'll start coughing. And once I start coughing, there's no stopping me. I mean, from coughing. Right. I don't. Want, I mean, it does, it's not like I can do anything. I just can cough. Once I start, you know, no. what you need what? you need a full system flush. You know what? That's an, funny. That's what the people at the car place told me the other yeah, day too. Yeah. Is there a difference between sludge and slurry? Yes. Okay. It's in viscosity. I just didn't know if there, Viscous. if this was the same mysterious slurry that was going throughout Townton Abbey. No. That's... No. Townton Abbey's doing great. 100% satisfaction from all of the, the city dwellers. And that's because you've been away for a while. I check in. I check in. Now, is that you choosing the polls that reflect your worldview or kind is of. it the actual polling? Well, it's both. We have some problems with that nowadays where there's no, actual polls is, no. and people ignore these are, them. These, and... are, these are real citizens right. from Townton Abbey, my okay. sim city, my nice. simulated city. Nice. Just checking. Wanted to make sure we're yeah. getting the accurate numbers. No, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, conjure up some fake poll. I'm not into fake news. I'm into real news. Today, by the way, speaking of fake news, um, Joe Cannon's going to be on the show. We're going to walk through a bunch of- uh, Or trip, whichever. Well, we're going to talk about the mooch. Yeah. I He's mean, still out there. Apparently, he was seen at a uh, local, not a local, but a uh, New York City 
eatery of some sort. Really? And he walked in, and all the women in the place ran over to get a selfie with him. Oh, ladies. It's 9 o'clock at night, he's still wearing his aviator sunglasses because, you know, he's the mooch. He's available now. Are you serious? So, that's what it said. You know, that was embarrassing. Joe and I talked about his appointment last Monday, uh-huh. and then I go home from work, and I find out he's out. And I was like, ah! Yeah. See, if I were here, I would have known that. That was great. That's the difference. I shouldn't be surprised the by that, The Mooch and I are though. pretty tight. Oh, really? Yeah. He put. Uh, he said, I put the moo in the mooch. For, so, he was in, like, what, 10 days? 11, I think, yeah. There's so many things that have come out of the White House communications team explaining what those days were like. Well, did you hear who they're now suggesting? Stephen Miller. What? I know. My next door neighbor? No. Oh, the other Stephen Miller. Okay. You wouldn't want this guy as your next door neighbor. He'd come over and yell at you. He's the guy that got in the fight with Jim uh, Jim Acosta. About being a cosmopolitan. And about immigration. Hmm. I don't know what to think anymore. It's all right. He walked in the back. It's not about managing the message. Trump wants a TV star to be the head of his communications team. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Just what you want as a TV star because TV stars know how to communicate. That's right. Because they're on TV. Huh? They look good. Yeah. That's, they know. can handle themselves well. Have you seen this, by the way? Yes. The oh, cool! How to lose a ten guy? How to lose a guy in ten days? Scaramucci meme that's been going out there. I think that's a great program. If you want to lose a guy quickly, uh, Donald Trump and Mr. Scaramucci have, a, I guess, a program. You sign up for it, and they will teach you how to lose a guy in ten days. Kate Hudson is on board with this. Joke. Really? Oh yeah. There's a lot of people that would like to lose somebody in ten days. Huh? I wonder how much it costs. Not, well, that I, not that I'm looking for it, you guys. Don't worry. I mean, I'm not trying to get rid when, of it. So the mooch <laughs> never actually made it to his start date. Yeah. His but, date was the 15th. But it was mo- it was it was also going to move be moved up. It was being moved up. Is that what it was? Because so did he, he was starting get, earlier. Did he get paid for any of his work, or was he doing all this just Was to, it worth paying for? That's the question. Uh, yeah. What was the quality? The know. mooch. The mooch is loose. We'll talk to Joe Cannon about that. Also, we've got a lot of um, other uh, empty news to get to today. Just stories you didn't even know you needed to know. That's how we are on this show. We get you the information before you even needed to know it. And then when you know it, then you didn't, you'll realize you didn't need it. It's just what we do. We're kind of strong that way. Uh, also, we will uh, be getting the headlines. In fact, let's do that now, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the country that we should all be paying attention to? U.S. military officials have called off the rescue efforts for three U.S. Marines and no longer expect to find the missing Marines alive, they say. Recovery and crash investigation operations continue. Three U.S. Marines went missing after their plane crashed off the coast of Queensland, Australia. Saturday, the Marine Corps announced the troops were flying in a uh, Marine Osprey when a mishap took place and uh, the plane went down. Of the 26 Marines on board, 23 were rescued. New this morning, the Australian Navy's reporting they have found debris from the downed aircraft. So they think they're close Sad, to finding it. the area that it went down. Turbulence on a transcontinental American Airlines flight from Athens to Philadelphia on Saturday became so severe that at least 10 people on board were hospitalized. Uh, passengers on board the American Airlines Flight 759, which landed safely in Philadelphia Saturday afternoon, described people on board hitting the ceiling as a result of the plane shaking and dropping in altitude. 30 minutes out, they were giving us our drinks. The flight attendants 
were in the last couple of rows when they said, fasten your seatbelts. And then they said uh, for the flight attendants to get in their seats. And they didn't even have enough time and started shaking and just babies screaming, people oh, in front of us hitting chaos. the ceiling. Dr- they, there's all these pictures of, of uh, the drinks hit the ceiling, so the ceilings are all stained with oh, cola and heavens. all this stuff. Um, a spokesperson for American Airlines described the turbulence as brief and said that all 10 passengers have since been released from the hospital. That's scary stuff. Yeah. Because the plane's still in the air. You know what I mean? This isn't something like, you know, this isn't like stopping at a light really fast and having your soda fly across the car. Right. This is the same thing, but you're at 30,000 feet. A little different. Blah! You can't just pull over no. and take a rest. You still have to land that thing. Over the weekend, the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Did yeah? you see any of no. that? No, uh-uh. I, like, I kind of like watching that every once in a while. You get to see the guys talk about their career yeah. and the, their little league coaches and, and they're high wearing school their coaches. yellow jacket or yeah. whatever it is. It's kind of a, one of just you know remembering their mom and dad sure. are out there. Sure. And stuff. It's fun to see all the few, the uh, current Hall of Famers, the the future CTE sufferers out there yeah. on the stage. Oh, I love that. I it's love great. that. They're all like CTE sufferers of America. guys that were, were on TV doing you know commentary. No, they're not because they were kind of uh, loopy. They've got brain and, issues know. now. Uh, so they inducted their new class Saturday along with the, the ceremony. Hall of Fame officials shared more details of a huge renovation project. Pro Football Hall of Fame President David Baker says $7 million, $700 million project being billed as the first ever sports entertainment smart city. So wow. Can- Canton, Ohio is where the Hall of Fame yeah, is. Yeah. They're turning in the, into just a, a, a location, an establishment you want to go to and spend the weekend or take a week vacation. It'll have a Hall of Fame hotel, restaurants. There's going to be like a shopping mall. They're going to renovate the football stadium that they play the Hall of Fame game in and just make this huge thing. They're also putting in an assisted care center. Oh, really? For, for pro football Hall of Famers. So they can, re- you can go retire in North Canton, Ohio. And so it'll have a range of health services, including uh, called Legends Landing, a uh, football-themed 143-bed independent living, assisted living, and memory care active center facility. Wow. That, yeah, they got to fix that title. Yeah, it's it just a little too keeps long. going. Um, the current design for the center includes 15-bed surgical hospital, 20-bed behavioral science and uh, addiction center, and a possible memorial slated well, open in 2020. Okay, I like the idea. It just seems like eventually they're going to have to monetize it by like having big windows so everyone can look in right. at all of the old... It's like a zoo. <laughs> all the old <laughs> NFL greats. Yeah. That is... Because you know they'll do that. It, there's money to be made here, right? So if you've got a unit full of, you know, retired Hall of Famers, aging Hall of Famers, like, hey, there they are. Let's go look at them. They're from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right there. Uh, this I, is crazy. So you have this whole shopping center, hotel, and, and assisted living center next door. And like, if you want what? autographs, you can head on down to the senior center. What's that? <laughs> and finally, um, last week we talked about there was a new planetary protection officer job from NASA. That yeah, was announced. yeah. Oh, did they? Did someone get that? Six-figure salary between one hundred twenty-four thousand, one hundred eighty-seven thousand dollars a year. Right. So to protect the universe, well, the planet. Okay. I thought that was Chris Pratt's job. People, yeah, I did people too. laughed at the fantastical job title, one that conjured up science fiction fantasies. One nine-year-old boy in New Jersey took the vacancy seriously, so he took out a sheet of paper and an obviously well-sharpened pencil and carefully hand-wrote his application. He goes, Dear NASA, my name is Jack Davis, and I would like to apply for the planetary protection job. Uh, I may be nine, but I think I'll, I'm a good fit for the job. Here's, sure. here's some of the reasons okay, why. Okay, great, great. Uh, he says, for one, he wrote, my sister says I'm an alien. 
Jack also said he has watched the TV show Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which okay, I've yeah, watched also, so maybe I'm qualified. All right. I love that show. Almost all the space and alien movies he can. He says also he hasn't seen Men in Black, though, so that might be a, a mark against oh, him. Oh, boy. Well, that, maybe he has, but then his memory was erased. Right. Great he, point. He also says he's, he's played all kinds of great video games. He's seen all the Marvel movies. So he's really so he's, he's really set for the superhero sort of has planetary he, has he defense. done any planetary defense for any state or country? Um, no, okay. he says his final assertion is that he's young, so he can learn to think like an alien. Ooh, That's a great point. You got to be versatile point. in your 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 skills. There, he signed off by saying that uh, he is a guardian of the galaxy and in fourth grade. Wow. Plus, his parents really want him out of the house. I I really I want him to get it. Is he in contention? Is he one of well, the leaders? the director of NASA's Planetary Science Division, James L. Green, wrote, wrote him back right away. Oh, he says, I hear you're a guardian of the galaxy and that you're interested in being NASA's planetary protection officer. He goes, that's great. He also took time to dispel the myths about the job. He goes, it's about protecting Earth from tiny microbes when we bring back samples from the moon, asteroids, and Mars. It's also about protecting other planets and moons from our germs as we responsibly ex- explore the solar system. We don't want to destroy a world because we have some flu virus. And wow, so you got to be deal a, with it. Right? Got to be a scientist. Then, yeah, so there's a like. lot of science here. He also says, you know, there's some education. He goes, do well in school. Okay, yeah. Focus on your science. Yeah. And we look forward to having you work here at NASA. Well, in the he may have just ruined it for the boy because oh. the kid probably didn't know it was that like STEM oriented. Yeah. People thought that you like you sit on a cannon and you you know shoot yeah spaceships. you shoot stuff down yeah no you you think about little tiny microbes and oh see that's not as exciting how we protect ourselves and the rest Darn of the it. universe so. he, he was so close and maybe it is that they just want to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff you know mm. yeah that might be I I don't think we're supposed to be growing wheat out there weed wheat oh mm. sounded like weed yeah. Well, sometimes. Probably not that either. So do you think they make you get all the science, then they introduce the cannon later? I don't think there's a cannon. Oh. I thought, well, how are you supposed to defend without a cannon? Lasers. Man. Just lasers. I think they've oversold the job with the name. Well, did you notice that they're now having to, like, give more information? Right. NASA, at first nobody knew it was about germs and... Yeah. Well, they mentioned it. No one really paid attention, though. No, because it's like, I'm supposed to protect, protect the, the galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was the, more than the planet. No, I no, it's it was planetary the, defense. It's yeah. NASA. We're really, you know, centric on us. It's P- us. Yeah, PDS. Yeah, now they're coming out and saying, actually, it's it's quite boring. Did no. you hear about Indian Airlines? Have you ever heard of Vistara? That's the name of an airline from India? No. They're protecting women now. Oh, nice. So when women fly solo, hmm. they're saying you don't have to sit in the middle seat. Oh, okay. Because of man spread. Right. right. So it is a problem. Men, you know, they encroach upon women as women sit in the middle, and the women kind of get squished away into the middle. Is that a societal thing? Should we teach? We should teach men to sit more manly, uh, respectfully, more, yeah, respectfully of others. Yeah. Yeah. So um, why don't you, Terry, just for the listeners, because many may not know what man spreading right. is, explain man spread. It's where you sit and you have your, your, your knees like way out wide. Your, your knees are too wide. They're yeah. wider than your hips. Yeah. You need to put your legs back into your own personal space. They here. need to be parallel to your hips, it seems like. Right. Yeah. Maybe keep your legs so they're, your knees are straight out from your body, not pointed at you know yeah. almost forty five degree angles. So uh, Vistara says um, its Women Flyer Initiative will ensure only window or aisle seats are assigned to solo women travelers. So if you're a woman traveling alone, you'll either get an aisle or a window seat, hmm. not the middle seat. 
We're going to keep those for men. Um, upon arrival, Vistara staff will, be av- staff will be available at baggage claim to offer assistance to female travelers with luggage. Staff will also be on hand to help women book airport authorized taxis. Okay. Apparently, there's been a lot of, um, you know, Her- what, harassment, harassment and, attacks. and yes. attacks and spreading. India's having a problem. So they're now protecting women as they travel, hmm. which I think is great. What about the men? Or what about the men that some men might need more protection too? So what about them? Mm-hmm. I mean that's a that's a great question. But I didn't know I didn't know this was as big of a problem. But maybe for a place where the women haven't had a voice as much, right? And you do. I mean, I've sat next to people. I've sat next to women that had women's bread. You know, I was reading a story last night, and there's a certain town in India that having an issue where women go to sleep. And when they wake up, like their ponytail, if they have their hair pulled back into a ponytail, the ponytail is then cut off and laid on their pillow. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Who would dare do that? That's the mystery. Who's getting in the house, cutting their hair, leaving it there, and then nicely, by the way, they say it's nicely displayed on the pillow and then leave the house. Wow. That's kind of creepy. So is that a single woman? It didn't say. It well, said because that, just women. I mean, if I touched my wife's hair, she'd kill me. Yeah. Haven't too. you ever fallen asleep in the in the barber seat though? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, never. Mm-hmm. Just woken up and all of a sudden you had a haircut. Never. I mean, it's the best way to do it. Really? Oh yeah. I there's certain there's certain times to me you don't want to be asleep when well, someone's holding a sharp object near your head. Yeah, but it's so easy. <sighs> You're essentially getting a scalp massage. You're getting warm. Uh, lather all over your face. You've got the ambient noise of the puts you right to sleep. Man, I I haven't had a shave at my barber forever. You haven't had a shave. You haven't had a shave at home. It looks like either. I know it's because I'm kind of sick. This is so weird because so many people say we sound alike. Yeah, and both of us have a little bit of stubble. Yeah, and both, both of our voices are a little lower than they usually are. It's kind of weird. It's like we're the same person with two voices. It's like we finish each other's sentences. sentences. <gasps> well, oh, my, my heavens. heavens. <laughs> so weird. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. I just took some um, Dayquil. I'm hoping that helps. Wow, that's weird, Jeff. We are a lot alike today. Crazy. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to be getting into everything political. Scaramucci, we've got it covered. We'll get into all that fun with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Plus, uh, Mueller's got a, uh, a grand jury. That's not always, that's not a good thing. Not a good idea. We'll talk about all of it. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, there's always something going on in Washington, D.C., and uh, today... 
as uh, we are known to do, we like to bring in Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. We call him Joe in the know. He's the uh, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator under the under President Reagan's um, Environmental Protection Agency office from 83 to 85. He was also the Deseret News uh, editor. Um, and uh, and did a great job there. So he understands the media and the press. And he would never call himself a real insider, but we know that he's more on the inside than any of us. So we like to pick his brain. Joe, how are you, my friend? Hey, Matt. I'm fine. How are you doing? You sound fine. I still have a cold, right. but it's one of those things that just never goes away. So I'm just getting right. used to it. What do you do? I haven't I haven't had to neti pot my uh, sinuses. Okay, well... <laughs> But I've got one because you provided me one uh, a couple of uh, years ago. That's, how, that's what yeah, a good I'll friend you are. I'll, I'll just say I'll do anything for your show, Matt. I know you will. That's the thing. So, Joe, what do you think? Last week, um, Scaramucci was in, and then, you know, 11 days later, he's out. Just to show you that I will do anything for your show, by one of those cosmic coincidences, I was actually in the West Wing during what I'll call the week of Scaramucci. Were you? And then I, and then I was there last week. Was it crazy? Beginning, beginnings of the Flynn uh, administration. And, okay, could, uh, small samples are deadly and often wrong. Right. So this is just like two personal experiences, you know, a, week or, a little over a week apart. But I honestly did feel the tension during the week of Scaramucci, not just in who I was visiting with, but you could feel, you know, people, the way people were moving around, the way they were looking. Uh, and, and remember that that moment, we had no idea that it was going to be the week of Scaramucci. Maybe right. it's going to be the year or years of Scaramucci. And, you know, and people had schizophrenic feelings at the beginning, the very, very beginning. People might not even remember this. It was so things that happened after were so cataclysmic, but, you know, the first press conference was, you know, maybe maybe this will be okay. You know, he, yeah. he was kind of smooth, maybe too smooth. but um, And then the whole New Yorker thing erupted. But uh, so when I was there, it was still the week of Scaramucci. No one knew he was out. No, nobody knew that there was going to be um, General Kelly coming in. So then, by, like I said, by a weird quirk of fate, I was there last week. And again, it could have just been my imagination, but things seemed calmer. Really? Once you, you entered in there, there, there seemed to be more calm and more and less sort of um, agitation. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not asserting anything in particular. This is one guy's impression, but... I, I felt, you know, uh, and maybe again the overall statements, the fact, the fact that you know, minute one, not day one, not week one, minute one, uh, Scaramucci's out. Yeah, and uh, so clearly, uh, well, his whole position, General Kelly is asserting his asserted his authority. Yeah, his I, whole I, his whole position. It seemed like the Scaramucci was. You know, heads are going to roll. We're we're going to find out leakers, and we're going to find out anybody that's not loyal. It's over. They're done. And um, so, I mean, it makes sense in a way that General Kelly comes in, and he he's a he's not just. I mean, we all he's always just referred to as a general, but as a general, he's used to leading order, 
and creating order and hierarchy and, you know, loyalty. And so in a way, to me, there's so much hope that finally there's like a grown-up keeping order. Well, there's a lot of hope on a lot of people's part. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of Republicans have been hoping that there could be some uh, order. I mean, the uh, uh, chaos is bad. Even forget about your own particular political orientation. It's just not really good right. to have the White House in disarray. It was clearly in in disarray with the, without. It was sort of headless. You know, and talking to lots of people over the last several months, you almost never heard the the word Priebus. Now, hmm. Priebus was the chief of staff. You almost never heard about him. He he was in the White House. Nobody talked about. Oh, we got to check this with Ryan. Now maybe they. I'm not saying they didn't. I mean, you know, I'm not saying he had no interaction. But no one, no one considered him the center of gravity for management of the processes in the White House. Now I want to really say something. Having said that, uh, at many multiple levels in the White House, things operate pretty pretty well. You have a bunch of professionals in the White House that are doing, you know, really, really good jobs and and some very, very smart, able, capable people. Uh, I mentioned we've talked about this in the past about the White House Counsel's Office. But, you know, there's the Office of the Staff Secretary, which is being run by a guy named Rob Porter, who's very smart, used to be the chief of staff for for Senator Hatch. Hmm. You know, Harvard Law School, Rhodes Scholar, very smart guy, got a very smart staff of people there. I, I mentioned the White House Counsel's Office. You'd, you'd feel very comfortable being represented by most of the folks there. They, they're they very, very able lawyers. You, you go over to the economic side of things, uh, you know, they're, they're running things pretty well. OMB is very much on track when you look at what the president's doing on um, regulatory reform stuff. Uh, even the Atlantic Monthly, which is no friend of the of President Trump in general, or Republicans in general, or President Trump in particular, even they had a, an article which was not intended to be a puff piece. It was mostly out of fear, like you guys, while this chaos is going on over here, you know, you're missing what's going on over here, i.e., the uh, the you know tremendous efforts to attack the regulatory administrative state. So there are a lot of things that are happening. I don't want to say it was all chaos. Yeah. And now it's not chaos. But at, clearly at the top and the feeling in the White House is one of efficiency, order. Yeah, let's bring order. And I think, you know, I think President Trump, to his great credit, really, in this case, realized, okay, maybe my management style in a business might not work quite as well in the White House, where you've got all these competing centers of power, let's bring a guy in. Hmm. And they brought a, they've not, not just any general, by the way. Right. A Marine general. A Marine general. You know? Yeah. And also um, a Marine general that has done this with Leon Panetta, that, that was the head of, what, the Pentagon underneath um, right. uh-huh. Leon Panetta. Well, so, he was, he was, yeah, what was he? he well, he was Secretary of... Um, no, he was head of, head of the CIA, but maybe I what? forgot about defense. But, he went, but the point is, he was also a White House staff, right? Uh, chief of staff. And the other thing is, is that uh, people tend to think of uh, the military as sort of an out, outside of the whole mainstream. But you, 
weirdly, I was up in the Russell Senate office building last week, and I had never been in this particular hall before, but walking out, you have like the offices for each of the branches of government or of the military have their liaison with uh, the Senate. I think also the house, but any case, um, uh, Kelly was, had, had that spot at one time in his life. So wow. He knows, he knows a lot more about politics. I did want to say one thing. I have a, a Marine friend who said, uh, once told me that only two kinds of people understand Marines, other Marines, and their enemies. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, but it's, <laughs> and, uh, that's who you want in there, especially because it seems like another thing that he's he's doing is he's he's guarding the, go- the door now to the president in a way that nobody has. Everybody has to go through the chief of staff, it sounds like. Not anybody – and you're not just allowed to drop by anymore – which used to be the culture there. So anybody could drop a, you know, a news article off to the president and then get the president reacting to it. Um, it also sounds like he's, he's almost vetting communication and making sure the president's more informed before he just goes off on something. So, I mean, yeah, in, no, in a way, it no, seems no. like that's helping the most. Yeah, no, that's helping a lot. I, I think the other thing that I've sort of felt, and this actually is based on some conversations uh, folks in and out of the White House is that um, he's a, he is a deemed a, an honest broker. So it's not like so. So people can trust Kelly. He's going to say, look, you don't have access to the wandering in and out of access to the to the Oval Office, but I'll make sure that everyone's views are fairly represented. And I think people feel that at least so far in inside the White House that, OK, Maybe where there's more order here. Maybe I just can't wander in and talk to the president. But I don't believe my idea is going to be prejudiced because of what General Kelly does. Hmm. So that's very important. So you have to manage up and manage down in, in that kind of a job. And uh, and and having that sense of of fairness and I'm going to get my my shot in. That's really really important. If you go the, the I'll call it the non chaos route. Yeah. Well, and again, it, it um, it's I guess it's it's one thing if your president wouldn't fall prey to the latest whim and the latest you know misdirection of anybody on his staff, but it seems like President Trump is one that's easily you know reacting and, and stimulated by the, any kind of controversy. So I mean, I don't well, know. It, it seems good. Been a, it's been a couple of weeks, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think there's been a lot more order at every level of the White House, including in Tweetland. And there have been tweets. It's not like there's no tweets anymore, but there's fewer and maybe a little more focused. Yeah, maybe more informed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll We'll, see. We'll see how that works. And that's the key, huh? We'll have to – we'll see over time. Let's do this, Joe. Let's take a break and come back. I also want to talk about – um, FBI uh, past uh, special counsel now. Now the special counselor, Robert Mueller, is in with a grand jury, apparently. I want you to teach us what a grand jury means when it comes to the Russia investigation. Interesting stuff uh, happening in Washington, D.C. Who better to guide us through it all than Joe Cannon? We'll have more with Joe up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends. Today, uh, we're talking politics as we like to on Mondays. And joining us to do that is Joe Cannon. Joe is our Joe in the know, we call him. He's our Washington insider. He's also, by the way, the current uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and uh, just does everything he can to keep us informed and up to date on what's really going on politically. Joe, thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. So what do you think about uh, special counsel Robert Mueller now apparently has uh, seated a, a grand jury um, to to well, evaluate all the yeah. information? Yeah, there are a lot of interesting things about about this grand jury. Of course, uh, you know, proponents of the president are saying, well, you know, of course, that, you know, we're not taking this. Well, they're taking it seriously, but the be-all and end-all, but it actually there's some really interesting wrinkles at this. First, first, you should know there already is a grand jury that's been impaneled in Alexandria, Virginia to look into, uh, to investigate the whole... Ooh, we lost you, Joe. Are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, yeah. Okay, I know. Anyway, there's already been a, a, a panel, a grand jury panel, in uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, that's going right now. So why a new one? Why hmm. one in the District of, of Columbia? And it's pretty interesting. To be fair, the Alexandria, Virginia one was limited to to the Flynn allegations. Okay. Uh, and so the question is, if you're going to expand that, uh, if you want to expand that, what do you do? Well, you maybe you panel a new uh, grand jury. So here's the actual technical code, the U.S. code on what. Well, first of all, a grand jury is impaneled. It can do a bunch of things. It can indict. It can not indict. It can issue a report. And I think the report is going to turn out to be key here because the grand jury report may address, quote, non-criminal conduct, malfeasance or misfeasance mm. in office involving organized criminal criminal activity by an appointed public official or employee as the basis for a recommendation of removal or disciplinary action. I'll come back to that in one second. The U.S. Attorney's Manual and, you know, uh, says organized criminal activity is broader than simply organized crime and includes any criminal activity collectively undertaken. So it's pretty, pretty broad hmm. um, what, and what you can, uh, what the grand jury can look at here. Now, Two things. First of all, the statute says uh, talking about an appointed public official. So that doesn't include the president, but it's also not limited to um, uh, looking toward elected officials. Also, even if it doesn't have the power, which it doesn't, of course, to remove a president, the only way the president can be removed is through the impeachment process, not, you know, not not by a grand jury. Hmm. But. The grand jury report, an extensive, in-depth grand jury report detailing crimes or misdemeanors. And, and by the way, you don't even need a crime to be impeached. I mean, that's not the standard. That's a, an, an aspect of it. So it's just, I, I mean, it's very interesting that, um, that this grand jury panel has been, well, this grand jury has been impaneled. So does it? I, I don't know. As a non-attorney, it seems like um, it's also a way, though. I mean, it even might give more legitimacy because it's not just Special Counselor Mueller that uh, that makes the 
any recommendations. He, I guess he could, he's taking it to a grand jury that could recommend certain things, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, so then all of a sudden it's, it's all gone before a grand jury. Right. And I'm not an expert in grand juries, but I will say they, they very often become the tool of the prosecutor so that whatever he wants, he Mueller wants in the report, uh, it would likely find its way into the grand jury hmm. report. Um, so, but but I would say uh, I would not take, and I don't think that the Trump folks are taking this casually. Uh, but they have they, they've got they've got a, a pretty smart lawyer working for him, and this weirdly Ty Cobb for us baseball fans. Wow, yeah, uh, they have a, a very smart attorney named Ty Cobb. They still have Jay Sekulow out there. Jay Sekulow is a, is a brilliant. First Amendment attorney, uh, particularly on religious freedom, but I'm not sure I want to rest my fate in uh, before a grand jury in his hands. So I'm guessing what you're going to see unfold on the Trump side of things is a good deal more lawyering up going forward. Hmm. Oh, boy. Just what we need. More lawyers. And, huh? the, uh, and the other thing is just to say that... that um, uh, this is going to take a long time. I mean, all observers are saying, you know, this is probably not going to be finished in 2018 even. Oh, wow. So, so it'll, be, it'll be really, not all observers, but some do. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting how this all plays out. How do you think um, this will play out for the Democrats, too? Because, I mean, if it comes up empty or if it comes up with kind of, yeah, Trump had nothing to do with it, but his son made a stupid meeting or whatever um, – could this could this end up backfiring on the Democrats? You know, it could end up backfiring in that way, but I, I think you've got really a serious, you know, special prosecutor here with a very serious staff of seasoned former, mostly former prosecutors and people very much engaged on the criminal uh, criminal defense and criminal prosecution side of things. So I I don't think that he would have impaneled a uh, grand jury if, if there weren't more than a little smoke there. So I don't know. But but uh, getting to the bigger question, how is this going to affect, say, at least 2018 and 2020? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, if, if anyone is less popular than Republican office holders, it's Democrats. Uh, I mean, they seem, they seem themselves to be imploding, uh, you know, and, and learning, in my mind, and anyway, learning a lot of the wrong lessons. They basically the left edge of the party is taking more and more power and thinking they can win elections by going left when there's mm. zero evidence of that, except in already left leaning districts. So, it, I mean, 2018 will be fascinating to watch. Yeah, no, what? it totally will. And and especially with uh, the president's approval ratings, you know, as low as they've ever been. Right. I mean, do you sense you know, some are saying that the president finally realized how bad it was getting. That's why he brought General Kelly in. I mean, he was getting his with his numbers and ratings dropping with I mean, he was taking on Jeff Sessions, uh, a lot of ugly potential firings, you know, echoes of Tillerson needing to leave or wanting to leave. Um, do you sense that he he was seeing the writing on the wall? I don't know if it's the writing on the wall, but I and I don't know. I, I have no individual insight into this other than anybody else would have. But I think he felt 
that he his strategy worked. You know, people say stop tweeting, and he's going, wait, wait a second, I'm president. Partly because I tweeted, partly because I have this connection right directly to this massive base, and it's hard to argue with that. He, he yeah. won, and he won by exhibiting that same behavior. But I do think it's possible that he's thinking, okay, winning and managing are different, and I'm not going to be judged on my tweets hmm. next time. I'm going to be judged on my record. And so far, uh, in terms of big public things, I haven't, haven't been doing too well. A, and then B, the, the apparent, the, the chaos in the White House, it's not just that it's apparent to voters, but it's also really apparent to the people he needs to be on his team working. And that's that's a senior political bureaucrats. That's a, the House and the Senate. I mean, the, the whole there's a whole set of organs of public policy. They got to be kind of moving in the same direction if you're going to accomplish things. And for that, you need order. And uh, so I, I do think he I came to a view that, you know, I got to do something. I have to change something here. Maybe I can have the best of both worlds. I can have order, but I can still connect with my base and maybe expand that base. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, again, some structure probably is going to help there. What do you think about the rollout, the White House uh, rolled out kind of their immigration, legal immigration kind of order, I don't know what you call it, but it it was, you know, it yeah. took it was a really crazy rollout of course. Steve Miller, Stephen Miller was part of the rollout, got in a little head to head with Jim Acosta from C, C or CNN. Um how do you think I mean they, I guess now what they're saying is we want to limit legal immigration to people that speak English and that can immediately come in and make a contribution. Yeah, no, it's um it, w- there's a, a war inside the Republican Party, and there always has been, uh, not always, but in recent dec- years, uh, over immigration. Who should come in? And so what what the president decided was, uh, I mean, this doesn't affect illegal immigration. That's a different right. story. But, okay, who really can come in? So what he did is try to sort of split the baby. So you can have the, the, there be the same number of green cards available, but. They're going to very significantly restrict people who come in based on family ties. So very much narrowing the family ties. Uh, and so it's much more direct. And the other thing that didn't get quite as much attention is that um, that the number of refugees and people that come in based on lottery, a lot of people don't know, you can, you literally can win the lottery in, in quite a few countries around around the world, take Bulgaria, for example. I actually have a friend who literally won the lottery. They have a lottery for green card mm. in, uh, in some countries that are underrepresented. Quote, that's a quote, that's a statutory thing, underrepresented uh, in, in, the, in, in America. So that was, that was cut. The overall intent of this was to reduce immigration from people who were not adding to the economy while hopefully not hurting, um, uh, you know, the, the whole green cards. Overarching this thing, by the way, was uh, finally kind of, a, not finally, but uh, in Trump's mind, finally a, an explicit statement. We really want to favor immigration that adds to our net net uh, intellectual and uh, um, uh, business capital. Hmm. So a lot of this is aimed at, at that. But it's what this is, is definitely it's a victory for people who believe that 
legal immigration is a burden on job on jobs and job creation. So, right. But it um, seems like, too, isn't it um, – because a lot of the immigration needed would be immigrants to come work in fields and to help get produce out and to help, uh, you know, run other businesses and, and industries, hotels and, and hospitality. But they're almost – they seem like that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about people with degrees, with education, English speaking. I mean – Exactly. No, no, that's exactly right because the lower skilled immigrants, legal or not – are displacing a lot of the, a lot of the kinds of uh, workers that Trump is is uh, trying to reach out to. Yeah, so, so interesting. Yeah, this, is, this is political, but again, keep in mind that this is all statutory at this point. This, most of this stuff, uh, I, I think, maybe all of this stuff can't be done without a statutory change, which is why he had uh, uh, Cotton and um, oh, I'm sorry, the the senator from. Uh, Georgia, but anyway, yeah. So, so this is this is this is a you know in praise of a um, Senate proposal, basically. Okay. To uh, cut cut green cards and um, uh, you know all all of those are, are measures. It's a, I'm sorry. It's, so Tom Cotton from Arkansas and David Purdue, Senator Purdue, Purdue yeah. Georgia. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, we appreciate you again. I don't know that we could make sense of it better than you can you're you you know i mean you were in the west wing come on come on joe joe cannon's his name and uh great resource for us we appreciate him he is also the ceo of fuel freedom foundation an organization that's trying to lower your fuel costs here in the united states you can go check that out at fuelfreedom.org and again we'll have him here every monday to talk politics with us This is the Matt Townsend Show. We do what we can to get you updated, to get you the information you need to know to make the decisions you need in life. Stick with us, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Hey, uh, apparently a new update on fidget spinners. Absolutely. Yay. Now, they're finding new ways. Last week, we talked with a gentleman from uh, talking about China and how we need to kind of embrace the fact that our economy has benefited from our relationship with China. China's got a lot of problems and a lot of issues when it comes to how that stuff is made, but our economy is kind of hooked together and connected, so bashing them and going after them, it might not be the best. Not good. And you made the point that... China has brought us the fidget spinner. Where would we be without fidget spinners? Now, the guest didn't really take that as no, funny think, you were trying to make it. That, that he just kind of went, uh, yeah, and then moved on. Yeah. But, um, it's almost like he didn't even know what a fidget spinner was. There's this band, <laughs> Ar- Arcade Fire. They okay. have fidget spinners yeah. that have been attached. They've, they've uh, imp- I guess, included a USB drive in the fidget spinner. Oh, okay, cool. So it spins, but then you can plug the fidget you, spinner and get their music into a computer Great and that's idea. an idea of how to deliver their new album. So they're only delivering it, though, to fidgeting kids. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. So it was announced and immediately sold out. The listing shown in a black and white fidget spinner with a USB connection was supposedly on sale for $109. 
What? Which is you know kind of steep there. But it, you get the music. It comes with an additional booklet. I'm not sure if that's how to use the fidget spinner or maybe maybe uh, the words to the music. Maybe the words to the songs. A few weeks back, uh, uh, another music industry magazine reported that the band had denounced unofficial Arcade Fire fidget spinners that were being sold on Amazon.com. They're denouncing them. And the band saying the official infinite content spinners are coming. We'll have them out soon, and there they are. Great news. Okay, other ways to uh, get into your child's brain through their fidget spinner. So there are fake arcades, too. Yeah. I can't tell you how disappointed I was when I walked up to an arcade once and discovered it was actually a laundromat. Ah, those are the worst. And you lost a lot of money while you were doing it. (laughs) Anyway... Good stuff. We uh, we are going to continue the journey. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you figure out your fidget spinners one spin at a time. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, also known as Dr. Hack. Hackaroo! I've never called you a hack. Well, some but, people maybe, but, but a not minute me. ago you said I needed a cough guard on my microphone. But I would never call you a hack. Thank you. I appreciate it. Still trying to get through this weird cough I've got. But I like it because it makes my voice a lot more sultry, a lot more Does it? berry white. Sounds more salty than sultry. Does it salty? Yeah. Right. right. You should you should be a sea captain. Argument. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so true. We've got a great show. Today we're going to be replaying an interview we did on um, smart after graduation. It's enough. It's not enough to graduate anymore. You've got to actually be informed, be smart, what to do once you've graduated. Well, it's the idea of like continuing in your, whatever your field is, whatever your focus is, you have to continue educating yourself and reading and taking courses and people don't do that. Right. And so their skills drop off, their knowledge drops off, and then they're not competitive when it comes to, you know, you need a new job or something. You just can't compete. You're not adapting. Yeah. Because who knows what we need to be in five years, you, you know. And then she talks about the number one reason. This is going to be a spoiler. Uh-oh, spoiler alert. Lack of time. <coughs> well, except that's all you've got is time. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, you start, you know, kids and a family and other responsibilities, and it's like, well, that's work. I'll do work at work, and then there's no time to actually work on your skills. Yeah, because they don't want yeah. you working on your skills at work. No, they want you doing the work. Five years. I can barely think five days ahead. I know, me too. It's, it's kind of not fair, right? Because... You're supposed to plan ahead, but you don't have time to plan ahead, and you're supposed to be living in the now, but what about tomorrow? Yeah, what about it? And I've got to have an answer for tomorrow today, but I don't have time to focus on it. I also can't remember what I did five days ago. Well, no, but that's a whole other problem, Hmm. right? I mean, that's just forgetfulness. By the way, you had a big ball game. It was big. It was. That's one way to put it. And how did we do? Well, uh, BYU Broadcasting has a, a softball team year on. You're, I think you... Let's just say we may have been placed in the wrong division. Had we been placed in a lower division, I'm sure we would have been the best team. Oh, so you got killed. I'm sure we were the lowest team in this division. Uh, we didn't even get to play the full hour. Really? Because they... They mercied us. They, you scored, they scored so many points on you. What's the mercy? 12? 
I don't even know I because I 80, lost count. It, it oh, 80, really? 80, 80 <laughs> runs. It was, it. it was at least 16 to 4. When okay. they, and so we got up to bat one last time and they said, okay, you have to score six runs. And we got out one, two, three. Did that, was it, did that have something to do with your leg because you've been injured? No. Did they look at you when you got up to bat and your leg, your pants were oozing and you're there like, gosh, let's just mercy this team? No. We had one more player than them, actually. So we should have had the field covered. Yeah. And we thought we had a handle on where they were placing the ball. So we would move people there and then they would just hit it somewhere else. Oh, I'm sorry. That's disappointing. Instead of, you know, being maybe a little chubby, a little older, a little slower or injured, Mm -hmm. uh, they were none of those things. Oh, they didn't have. They, they were they young. Have, oh, they were young, muscular, and they could all play. Well, that's yeah. You were totally in the wrong league. You needed to be in the older, chubby, uh, bad leg league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, no it's offense. The, it's the limp league. Yeah, limps. Yeah, limps to gimps. It's too bad. Well, at least you tried. That's the cool thing. So we actually did not play Jerem Jordan's team. They were on another field so we'll at the find same out. time. Maybe Jaron, maybe his team schooled the well, team. Well, they, they won their first game. They played again at 9-15, but I have no idea what the outcome of that okay. game was. Well, we'll find that out next hour. Wow, interesting. Spence, Spencer was late, as always. Of course. But he's a busy man. <laughs> he's a very busy man. Does he get his makeup on for the the softball no, game? No, he probably doesn't wear he his makeup. Great. He looked great. He looked fantastic. Oh, great. Well, well, I mean, that's half the battle, they say. If you can look good. You don't even need to play that well. You need a nice foundation base yeah. for softball. So Yeah. That's what I've heard. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so we'll get to all of that fun straight ahead. Plus, of course, um, we're going to be um, also getting into other headlines, information, stories that you didn't even know you needed to know, including, you know, cell phone videos shot by a California inmates as they're escaping. Not the smartest thing to do. It's kind of fun. You know, when you go on a family reunion, you somebody puts together a nice video. You know, they've edited in some music. And it's it, it touched me a little bit, this story. It was – I got kind of emotional. Yeah. Did you? Just because you like to you – like, you're moved by video. I think my leg was on fire at the yeah, same time, though. Probably that's what was going on. Uh, a university professor charged with keying her neighbor's car. She was keen on her – keen? Keen. Keying. Oh, Okay. Keying it, like, takes her key out and scratches it. Not good. Rude. You'd think a little education would would uh, have kept you from that. So, And a Florida woman arrested after pelting her brother with chicken nuggets. We're going to play a little, uh, hey, is that a chicken nugget sound game? Man. Yeah, arrested for pelting her own brother with chicken nuggets. Yeah. My brother threw a screwdriver at my head, and he wasn't arrested. He wasn't 18, but... Boy, that explains yeah. a lot as well. You had a lot of, what you you? Had a lot of brother stories. Where were your parents? They were there. We had so many kids. Well, and somebody had to drive you to the hospital. Yeah. That's good. Good parenting there. Uh, Not a problem. So we'll get to all of those stories. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Minnesota governor called the bombing of a mosque outside Minneapolis on Saturday an act of terrorism during a visit to the site on Sunday. Police in Bloomington, Minnesota, were called on Saturday at 5 a.m. local time about an explosion 
at the Dar El Farouk Mosque after a bomb was thrown through a window of the imam's office while worshippers were gathering for morning prayers. No one was injured. Governor Mark Dayton, along with the delegation of public officials, uh, visited the mosque Sunday morning, calling the uh, uh, calling on the community to unite against such attacks. The FBI has taken over the investigation. Twelve dock workers were injured after a ship leaked flammable liquid into the port of Long Beach in California on Sunday. Authorities said Officer Brian Fisk of the Long Beach Fire Department said 6,000 gallons container leaked the hazardous liquid early Sunday. Eleven injured workers were treated at the scene and released, with the exception of one worker who was transported to the hospital. Officials in Massachusetts are investigating lottery winners that claim more than 1,000 winning tickets a year and are suspected of more than just extreme luck. Mm. Massachusetts has more repeat lottery winners than any other state, and state officials are questioning whether certain individuals or groups are compromising the integrity of the $5 billion state lottery. Really? State lottery officials suspect the frequent winners may be 10 percenters who charge a fee to claim winning tickets for people who may not want to claim the money themselves to avoid taxes and other debts. So the other person claims it, and then they take 10% and pass off the rest to the actual winner. So the winner doesn't get his name documented, so he doesn't get his money taken from him because oh, he has wow. debts. Oh, huh. wow. So it's like an in-between kind of thing going on, right? Interesting. But uh, the Massachusetts Lottery co- uh, compiles a list of customers who have claimed at least 20 prize payments worth a total of $20,000 and share that information with law enforcement as well as the... Uh, state and federal tax collectors. Throughout this, the last six years, Massachusetts has had more than 50 residents cash more than 200 lottery tickets worth at least $600 each. So they're smaller amounts. They're not necessarily reported, but there's an abundance of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And they're just looking at, is there fraud? What are people doing with the lottery Interesting. Here? So it's just interesting. It's uh, The commission thinks it may be an oversight issue. They're not documenting things correctly. Yeah. And so people are just coming back constantly and look i won again it's crazy it's the weirdest thing and finally danielle brown started as google's new vice president of diversity integrity and governance last month and she had hoped to take another week or so to get the get the lay of the land before introducing herself she wrote this over the weekend to google employees because she had to uh she felt compelled to weigh in on an internal manifesto by a male senior software engineer that went viral within the company apparently they have their own internal social Mm -hmm. media type thing and he wrote the document titled google's ideological echo chamber begins i value diversity and inclusion i am not denying that sexism exists i don't endorse using stereotypes okay so that's the beginning so what do you think what do you think it's about Stereotyping. Stereotype, sexism, and he really doesn't have yeah. – he has an issue with diversity. In the rest of the document, the author, whose name isn't being widely shared, earnestly argues that Google's left bias has led to an overemphasis on gender and racial discrimination and stifled viewpoint diversity through shaming conservatives. Hmm. He shows great interest in promoting a culture of physical or so, wait, uh, they, they, he shows an interest in promoting a culture of psychological safety and warns that Google's emphasis on political correctness is leading to encroaching extremists and authoritarian policies, hmm. by which he seems to mean affirmative action. Wow. Right. So he says the most controversial part of the essay is the author's contention that, that innate biological differences may explain why we don't see equal representation of women in tech and leadership. Women's stronger interest in people rather than things may be in part explain why women relatively prefer jobs in social or artistic areas. Interesting. While more men may like coding because it requires systemizing. 
Yeah, because men, that's how thats how all men's brains work. Men think logically, women think emotionally. Relationally, yeah. yeah. Also, women generally have more neuroticism, higher anxiety, lower oh, stress boy. tolerance, and spend more money. While men's status, uh, men's status fixation explains why they fill most top leadership positions. They're more concerned with leadership and, and getting to the high ranking, and women just want to spend money. Hmm. Wow. Somebody's in trouble. <laughs> Did he get – what happened to this guy? Uh, nothing yet because this happened over the weekend. People started sharing it around the company and then it leaked out and um, a couple of publications put it out. Now you're getting kind of the Twitter, social media, general so, world. Uh, he'll be gone. Uh, a woman who's the editor of the website Recode, her name's mm-hmm. Kara Swisher. She's, Hold on. I thought women weren't into coding. It's different. Okay. She summed up the argument like this. Men like status and apparently ladies – are too nice to actually be a computer programmer. They're just too nice. It's too competitive. Wow. It's not, you know, it's just not something women are good at. See, this is the deal. I mean, so you have some employee throws this out there, it gets all this big press time, and yeah. then next thing you know, Google takes a hit because right. of one of their employees. Yeah. That and, seems to be a trend. And they just put this internal sort of diversity person to kind of focus on this because it's probably an issue in the in there there's a lot of lot of reporting when it comes to the technology companies they're really white really male Mm -hmm. and it's like well that's not reflective of who's actually out there and we could be missing a lot of talent by because we just keep hiring white males so let's let's see maybe we can adjust something And so they bring someone in, and her she, before she's really even stepped up to take the job, she has a, a fire she, to. She has to deal with this. Contain. Yeah. By the way, Matt. Yeah. That little manifesto that you sent out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. That's actually the the reason for our eleven o'clock meeting this morning. Oh, really? They did they finally get it? Did everybody get my manifesto memo? Yeah. Um, so they, we're going to talk. They about were it, less so. than pleased. Oh boy. Oh, I I was under the influence of. Cough syrup. Hmm. When I wrote my manifesto, yeah, I think I even spelled it without an F, but M A N I P H E S T O. That should have been the first sign. Yeah, I think so, it said something in there like fewer clients, show me the money type uh-huh. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Bra- it was bring you down really the rain. You really ranted and raved in that manifesto. Yeah, that was. It was a bad night, you guys. So I'm sorry we have a meeting about that. I, In fact, I'm not sure I even remember writing it. And I don't know that we could even prove that I sent it. <sighs> what are you going to do? Hey, uh, a cell phone video shot by California inmates shows escape, shows their escape. Video shot by the three inmates with a smuggled cell phone shows their methodical escape through a vent at the maximum security wing of the Southern California jail last year. Along with scenes from the days, their days on the run, the crisply edited video has pop music soundtrack and includes TV news clips about the escape and subsequent manhunt. manhunt. It also contains voiceovers by Nayiri, recorded after their capture, giving his version of the events and railing against the legal system. The men led authorities on a week-long manhunt before they were recaptured. We scared a lot of people and we caused a lot of anxiety and fear. And at the end of the day, I can't say I feel good about that. I can't. Wow. That's big of him. <clears throat> yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's making a really good point. A position that – but it was all caught on video too. So 
It used to be that you wouldn't know what they would do when they're out running around trying to hide from the cops. But now you have a full video version. Well, like I said, it's, it was like a week-long vacation for them. And, you know, that's the type of thing you want to capture. Jailbreakers gone wild. I mean, it's like a whole – you could see it on a Mari Povich. Suit. Hopefully with less streaking. Yeah. Great point. Great Great point. Um, also, we we probably ought to get to our game about uh, Florida woman arrested after pelting her brother with chicken nuggets. Family feud involving chicken nuggets led to a Florida woman serving some jail time. On Sunday, Asia Leisha Jimenez, 20, was at home feeding her son when Jimenez's brother stole food from her plate. It happens. I mean, We've all grown up with that, right? Right. But this really ticked off Jimenez, so she threw several chicken nuggets at him and told him to stop. That's a waste of good chicken nuggets. Well, is it? Or is it? Is it better than, you know, more violence escalating, someone pulling a weapon? And depending on how you prepared those chicken nuggets, those could be pretty rock hard. Totally. Punches were then exchanged between the siblings before their mother stepped in and ended the fight. Jimenez was charged with misdemeanor domestic battery. Obviously... These weren't just any nuggets. These were probably dino nuggets because dino nuggets are dangerous because they have sharp teeth. Yeah. The Tyrannosaurus Rex has those sharp claws. How many times when you were growing up did your mom say – did she intervene when somebody said, well, I didn't start it? Yeah. And she would say, well, I'm ending it. But I'm ending it. Yeah. Yeah. My mom used to do that. Uh, It's funny. When I grew up, I don't remember having dino nuggets or any type of chicken nugget. No. This was before chickens had nuggets. Yeah. Well, it's a, I mean, it's really tough to access that part of the of the chicken carcass. Pardon? Yeah. Um so we wanted to play a little game and the game is basically is that a nugget or not? Okay, are you ready? I love it. Let's so play. So here's the first sound. There are going to be four. You tell four me. Four sounds as as uh as Jimenez Throws a nugget at her brother. Is this a nugget or isn't it? Not a nugget. That is not a nugget. Well, what if it was a nugget that was just drenched in ketchup? Mm. Or barbecue sauce or mustard? That would have to be a very, very wet nugget, and I don't see that. Okay. Let's, let's listen to the other ones. Maybe a bit of an extreme reaction. That was probably that could be a nugget. That sounded a little bit more like a tennis ball, okay, or a golf ball, but also with a with a very reactive person. Okay. Well, here's the next one. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a chicken nugget because you could hear the chicken. Yeah. Can you play that one again? <laughs> yep, that's it. That's that's got to be the chicken nugget. Well, there is one more. Let's hear the other one. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking it was number three. Was it Bette Midler? Was that Bette Midler? I'm going to get you Bette Midler. I didn't know the sister was Bette Midler. Maybe it was the Riddler. Oh, sounded like Midler. Yeah. Uh, do number three again. <laughs> yeah, that's the sound, my friends, of a chicken nugget. Very good. That's amazing because it's really strange. Uh, that must be right as they're taking the nugget out of the chicken. Yeah. And then throwing it. 
So either Those, that family likes their chicken raw or yeah. they prepare it super fast. They haven't – yeah, they hadn't cooked their chicken nuggets yet. They fry it midair. Midair fry. Crazy stuff. Um, yeah. Boy, we got a lot to cover. Up next, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk chicken nuggets anymore. We're going to talk about how to be smart after graduation. Think about it. Your learning shouldn't stop when your schooling did. You've got to learn how to learn. And uh, we'll be talking about Project Information Literacy up next. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. You know, after about 20 or so years of schooling, many adults strike out into the business world. But does the learning ever really stop? There are new positions, promotions, and trainings to accomplish in the workplace that require continual effort and continual education. But how proficient are we at asking questions and learning after we've exited the world of academia? Joining us in an interview I I, uh, taped or recorded earlier is Dr. Allison J. Head. She directs Project Information Literacy, or PIL, it's called. Pill recently looked at how today's graduates continue to learn once they've completed college. Dr. Head explains the findings, and I began the interview by asking what the goals of her study were. This is uh, the eighth study that we've produced. We've been studying college uh, students since 2009 and have released a whole range of studies about how college students find and use information in the digital age for course research and also in their everyday life while they're in college. Hmm. But Matt, the million-dollar question is, what happens once they graduate? Right. What skills stick? Uh, what skills do they take with them and adapt and adopt in their everyday lives, as well as the workplace? And a kind of a unique question, not online communities, but the local communities where they live. Huh. And that's what we wanted to look at. There really are very few research projects that have studied students after they finish college. And so with information sciences, scientists at the University of Washington's information school, we really wanted to more deeply understand what their information needs were as well as the sources that they used. Because this really, the information age is a relatively new thing. Um, and and these these graduates are they're facing I guess information and and changing information altering information at a pace that few of us had you know thirty years ago twenty years ago. I think you're exactly right. And what's unique here and what we found in the study is what we call the shelf life of the skills that they leave college with. Huh. And it doesn't matter whether they're in sciences or doing something in statistics or doing social science research or even in areas like education and working with children. There's so much change occurring at this point that it's really hard for recent grads to keep up with the learning that they need to do to be current in the workplace as well as be successful and hold on to their jobs. A lot of fear about becoming outdated. Yeah. Which is so strange because they have more resources than ever, online resources, Google, TED Talks, YouTube. They have, they have resources to continue learning. Is it just they don't have the time? 
you know, that turned out to be the, you're exactly right, that turned out to be the biggest challenge that they had when we asked that question. We surveyed 1,651 grads from the years 2007 to 2012 from 10 universities and colleges across the U.S. And the number one reason, as you have suggested, is they don't have time, but it's also um, they really can't find affordable sources. They're lacking the kind of guidance and expertise that was so easy to get in college through whether that was through an incredible campus library and access to databases from providers like JSTOR and ProQuest, or even to be able to sit through a class with a professor that has outlined a whole field like something like astronomy. How do you even begin to do that when you're out on your own? Right, especially at, that, at a higher level. Well, and, and also, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, when we did our first study, librarians reacted to it and said, how could research be so difficult now? And it's really the abundance of information. Mm. When, we, when I went to college, there was really a scarcity of information. You, you became an expert. You looked for every bit of information that you could get. You scanned the library shelves, and you became an expert, especially to get a, a PhD. Right. Uh, or, or even a master's or even a senior thesis. But now that's an impossibility to stay on top of information and to really know a field inside and out. So that's a particular problem, as well as the change in in different computer programs, something we really don't think about, but occurred on this project as well. I've always used SPSS as a stat package. Um, oh, I hated that thing, not to be mean. <laughs> everybody hates but it. But I hated oh, that. Owns it now. Now yeah. everybody really hates it. <laughs> but, you know, that was the standard. And on this project, uh, we found that the statistician I worked with used R. Yeah. And sure enough, in our interviews, there was a, a couple of statisticians that worked on different research projects for marketing, but also one in education that said, I don't know R. You know, I learned mm. SAS. I learned SPSS. Um, I'm, I'm behind the curve, wow. and I've only been out of college three years. So the shelf life for skills, according to an article in Atlantic, is about five years. So the shelf life is five years. That's Yeah, five years for the skills that you're learning is what a recent article on lifelong learning uh, by John Seeley Brown and others uh, quoted as finding. So really, I mean, that's really shocking, no matter what field you're in. So that's one particular problem. It's not, you know, it's auditors keeping up with financial programs and approaches. It's uh, people that go into education that are educators and work with children. There's so much being discovered about different curriculum, as well as the way the brain works Hmm. and teaching methodologies, as well as keeping up with core standards and the controversy over that. Uh, you know, so across a number of different fields, we found that grads uh, were behind the curve very quickly and held responsible in their own time for staying current. Is it? And, th- and that really blindsides grads. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, think of that. Think of the money, the time, the energy you spent, and then you ride that wave, go get your first job. You're just trying to stay, you know, alert in your 65, 70 hours a week job um, just to get ahead. And five years later, you've been passed. 
Well, and you're spending your evenings or your time off, and a number of these people had uh, families or were starting families. Right. You know, um, trying to sit through Code Academy or Code School or a MOOC, which we found really was too much of a commitment and something that was the kind of learning, kind of a non-formal learning, that was not very similar to the classroom, Hmm. where they missed their peers and missed that responsibility of having to go to a classroom, say, on a college campus or such. And the community almost of that. Was it the community and the interaction? You're exactly right, that you could turn to your peers and um, you knew how other people had done on tests and uh, how the learning was happening. And and if you wanted to review a concept, you could bring that up in class. And there was discussion about it, which is different. I mean, that is available in online settings, but that doesn't seem to be something that works as well. Explain what a MOOC is. Some people may not know what a MOOC is. Well, a MOOC is it's something relatively new, and it's for multiple users, sometimes thousands of users, to sign up for an online course, and it's immersive. Uh, Harvard has MOOCs that they've made public. For instance, they have Terry Fisher from Harvard Law School huh. teaching a course, a beginning course about copyright, which is pretty interesting. It's filmed. Uh, his slides are there, his PowerPoint slides, and he goes through a lot of engaging examples. And by the end, you may get a certificate or you may get a badge. There's also Coursera is probably the most widely used MOOC that's out there. However, what's interesting is we found YouTube mm-hmm. was much more used in the sample, 79%, uh, for learning in short little spurts yeah. and how to videos, which I think we all use, then MOOCs. MOOCs, Coursera, for instance, was only used by 14% of the sample. Were they, are, they, are they the same level of depth? I mean, I assume a MOOC would be much more, uh, it'd be deeper, it'd be probably be more like being sequential. at a university. It's, you know, it's a course. It's an online course that's sequential. Um, you know, this week, for instance, we found on another topic, we found, this is, I think this is really fascinating. In the past, everyday life research interests have been around hobbies. They always have. We did research a few years ago and found the same. The original research done in Finland found hobbies were huge. We found this as well. However, what's interesting is the hobbies have shifted. There a great number of the grads had hobbies that were around coding. Oh, really? Python, learning Java, wanting to learn web design, learning that in their personal life, but also that spilled over to the workplace life. Yeah, almost to so stay. you can see where the workplace, um, your hobbies blend. Yeah, it used to be your hobby, I guess, could be something like, like diametrically opposed to your work. Or like maybe golfing. And, gardening. Yeah, gardening. You know, to take you out of yourself, mm-hmm. making wine, you know, something so different than what you did every day in the workplace. Wow. Maybe you had a buddy at work that did the same hobby. But what we found is there really is a blending between workplace and also personal life, which is pretty interesting stuff when you think about it, about the implications of yeah. that. Well, maybe your work uh, is now becoming who you are. Your, it's your identity. It's your life. Well, you, it, when you – college is very different. And there is such an emphasis for a variety of reasons, tuition being probably one of the primary ones, and the need to get through in four years and be employable. Mm -hmm. 
and that emphasis on employability and often at the expense of general in education courses that would look at problem solving or inquiry um, may have some really serious consequences when it comes to lifelong learning and this need for continued learning. I, I think one of the most shocking findings in the study is that 63%, almost two-thirds of the sample, said that they uh, were really dismayed that they had to continue learning once they got out of college. Wow. They were surprised. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I it mean- is amazing. And, you know, and they really um, were frustrated by that, about that need. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to, we did a number of follow-up interviews. We did 63 follow-up interviews, which really adds a lot of qualitative texture to this. But to their credit, if you get out and then you find out the skills like the SPSS example, mm-hmm. um, just aren't relevant you know, right. the real takeaway quote from a focus group we did before this study was the, was the grad that said, nobody gives you the reading list in life. Wow. Oh, wow. And, and it's true. You're, right. You know, life is an outline for you. There are no, you know, there are tests, your income tax and such. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and whether you get your performance evaluation but um, yeah. the feedback that you get in the workplace is very different than in a classroom. Yeah, also, you don't get a syllabus, right, when you graduate. Here's now your syllabus for life. Good yeah, luck. you don't get a syllabus for life. And in fact, that was something that was one of the biggest challenges, was the lack of access to professors as well as to syllabi. Mm. Um, and, you know, as one grad that we interviewed said, you know, it used to be if I wanted to become an expert in something, I just took an elective. <laughs> and, um, you know, I wanted to know about Shakespeare. I would take an elective. And then all of a sudden, I would be knowledgeable in, you know, 16 weeks, 10 weeks, depending on where they were. Oh, wow. So interesting. So it is, you know, it's really hard to... Expertise is a difficult thing to master in the digital age. And... You would think it would be easy, but David Weinberger's written a book, colleague of mine at Harvard, um, Too Big to Know. <laughs> and it, 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 truth has it's really just too shifted. big. It is. And we found a number of the grads kept their textbooks. Yeah. So they could go back and really review seminal concepts in their jobs that they needed to be responsible for, whether that was in science, engineering, or business. Oh, man. Allison, let's take a break um, and continue this discussion. Interesting. Too big to know, folks. Um, Your shelf life of of your learning, graduating from college, about five years. So learning to learn and, and, uh, you know, aggressively embracing uh, kind of a learning paradigm, maybe a learning paradigm of life. it's essential. We'll take a break, come back, and continue this discussion with Dr. Allison J. Head. She is a principal research scientist in the Information School and a faculty associate at Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Allison J. Head, and she is um, the Director of Project Information Literacy, PIL, or, uh, and recently um, uh, they've done a study. Um, the study, she, she is the head of um, the principal research scientist in the information school and a faculty associate at Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society. And in their study, this is the eighth study that they've done, um, basically evaluating college graduates to see you know, how they're doing as they're coming out and preparing to take on the world. This uh, study is titled Staying Smart, How Today's Graduates Continue to Learn Once They Complete College. And some of the information she's giving us is the shelf life of their knowledge is about five years. Um, they're, they're having a hard time accessing uh, more information that's affordable. And they miss uh, university work and kind of the community of, of learning. Um, they also were quite shocked that learning actually needed to continue at the level it does. Uh, Dr. Allison Head, am I getting it right so far? You're doing a good job. That's a lot of info you've come okay. up with. You want, a, you want the million-dollar question? Yes. I don't, okay. You know what's funny, Allison? I don't even know what the million-dollar question is. Oh, yes, you do. Okay, well, here, let's see. Every, everybody that sends somebody to college or that goes through college or teaches oh, yeah. in a college or university today is asking this question, and in fact, the American Association of College and University Universities asked this question in a survey. They went to employers and said, what do you want most from today's grads? Hmm. And employers said, more than major, the ability to have critical thinking skills. Ah, uh, there you go. To think critically, I don't care about major. This, of course, goes against what Pew's found, what the U.S. Census has found. It's always been major, and this emphasis on STEM, science and technology and engineering right. and math, that that was the pathway to a good job. But these findings are interesting and kind of shake things up. So we were intrigued by those findings from AACUP and AACU and thought, well, let's, this is good. But let's ask our sample of grads what they think themselves they took from college as far as critical thinking skills that helped them with learning once they graduated. Yeah, what would you find out? Okay, what we found out, here's the good news. They got an A on the report card for really information-seeking proficiencies, the ability to find information, which is really great. Yeah. They were particularly strong in evaluating information, the credibility and the relevance oh. as well as the currency. Yeah. How come? Well, it's probably one of the most critically important skills that's being taught from K through 20 now. Okay. So they get an early dose and they continue to ramp up those evaluation skills as they go from high school, for instance, to college. Give you a quick example. In high school, you might be asked, well, is this a credible author? What can we find out about him? In college, it might be ramped up, the evaluation to, is this a credible author? What, what is his background or her background? Um, what credentials do they bring to the process? And who else 
argues with them hmm. in this discussion of their point of view. Yeah, is a so two-sided art. Yeah, point of view, mm-hmm. and is one introducing bias. So you, so evaluation Great. is something that is developed really well in education in a lot of different educational settings. So this is an A on the report card, as well as presenting information. There are a number of different tools, of course, to do this. The obvious one is PowerPoint. So the tools themselves have lent themselves to more presentation as well as making short videos, um, which is often fun for students. Right. So well, and, and is, important to business, right? I mean, so these are well, these are all huge, incredibly business, good traits or abilities. Business grads always score really high on that particular skill as a takeaway, but so do other majors as well. Increasingly, with every year that we look at that. But the one, and then the last critical thinking skill is even better news, which is a number of the grads, these are all about three quarters of the sample, agreed, you know what, I I really know how I like to learn. Okay, they know their style, their method, yeah. Yeah, metacognition, really. Um, And the metacognitive abilities, for instance, when we've been out in the field, I'm always fascinated when a student interviewee will say, well, you have to understand, I'm a visual learner. Right. I don't do well with text. And so they have an idea of what their learning styles are. Those are all great. This things. is where they're getting A's. Where, where are they where they're getting A's. Where are okay, they struggling? The, yeah. You're ready for the C minus? Yep. Okay, here it is. And it's a little bit scary. The last one is their ability to keep asking questions and to, to frame questions of their own and continue asking till they get an answer. Mm. So if you really think about the state of education in a number of institutions and in a number of different curricular areas, we found this, for instance, in engineering with our interviewees, that in engineering, as an example, you're so often taught the solution. Yeah. As one of the grads we interviewed said from a big public institution, you have to understand uh, the solution, there is one, and it's either in the textbook or <laughs> the faculty members define it. The truth is and there. You get out in the real world and there's no textbook. Nope. That's right. <laughs> there's no back of the textbook with the answer and the explanation. And, and some people assume you have the answer, right? You're the expert. You just got out of Harvard. You should know. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, it's really that ability to ask different questions so that you continue learning right. in the workplace or in life. I mean, community involvement's really low on this on this survey. The response only about twenty five percent across the sample said that they sought out um, volunteer opportunities. And if you don't question and start developing questions of your own then you're less likely to be involved in civic engagement, wow. um, as well as volunteering in your local community and, and taking part in that. Does this speak to the hierarchy then, Allison, the structure of how we download information into our children and young adults? is It's kind of a top-down knower and the people that don't know. Well, I think there are a lot of different uh, – I've talked to a lot of different people about this finding um, and appeared at Harvard Graduate School of Education that's really fascinated with this because how are we teaching today's teachers? Mm. 
And really, Dan Rothstein, we did an interview with him that's up on uh, projectinfolet.org, one of our smart talk interviews, and he runs the Right Institute organization, the Right Question Institute. Hmm. And the Right Question Institute, um, its mission is to teach question asking. And in his argument, and, and I totally agree, it's never the first question. It's getting somebody to be comfortable asking the second and third and fourth. Yeah. And that's really where the learning takes place. So in a lot of ways, what edu- people in education will tell you is teachers really aren't taught to encourage question asking from students and how that process occurs. I, I would say, you know, after teaching for 25 years in a college setting, um, we have a number of strategic learners. They know how to get into classes. They know how to memorize the information, take tests, and get out. And they get A's. Right. And they're really not asking questions. Um, our interviewees talked about other reasons that... I don't know if intimidate, um, Hmm. certainly in some cases, but really lessen the ability to ask questions, especially in big public institutions. And that's the student-to-professor ratio of classes. Yeah, yeah, 200 people in a room or whatever, that's – you may not dare say anything. You know, and the most damning quote in our entire study is from a student from a big public institution that said, you have to understand, my university was in the business of churning out students. Right. Ooh. And they had a model, and they could get you through in four years, and you just didn't have time to ask questions. Oh, that's so sad. So they're good at responding to other people's questions. Yeah. But they're not good at asking no. their own. Well, so it's, so it's like they don't own their learning. They don't own their... They don't own their learning. Yeah. They own their, you know, the curriculum that's served up. So in the workplace, uh, for instance, we talked to somebody um, that we interviewed in the follow-up interviews, that what you see happening in some work settings is a number of seminars on interpersonal communication and question asking, because they see it as a lacking skill. and. Someone from a Fortune 500 uh, company that we interviewed said, oh, at my company, they teach you the rule here, which is ask why, why, and why. Hmm. And we all accept that here for new employees when they're coming in. So when somebody shows you a process, ask why. And they'll know you're going to ask that because they know you're new. So now it's kind of cultural. It's it's acceptable. Allison, as we we've got about two minutes, um, okay. so what should we, as a dad with a college student uh, and another one on the way to college, what should I do? What can I do as a parent to, and just anybody out there to make sure we're 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 teaching our children to own their learning, to know that they got to keep learning, to ask questions. Well, I think you know what's interesting is, and it's our first recommendation. We make ten at the end of the study. Uh, which is open access and on the site. Uh, I I think one of the more interesting little pieces that came through is parents in particular saying that they really want their children to graduate with the ability to see a much bigger view of the world beyond their discipline. Yeah. And those are often carried through in gen, gen ed or general education courses, which more and more are shrinking as emphasis on courses for employability are squeezing out those kinds of classes. 
So I think gen ed's important. I think in a practical sense, extracurricular activities that really force uh, students while they're students to go out of their comfort zone. Somebody talked about putting on a concert and then was surprised to find he had to sign a contract. He'd never seen one. Mm. He had to arrange for disabled parking. He didn't even think of it. <laughs> he had great. to copyright the music they were playing. I just wanted to sing a song. <laughs> play and perform. All that, he said, this is what my job's like now. Yeah. It's just a bunch of stuff thrown at you. So I think um, those kinds of experience help broaden students, and I think they've become very narrow through, uh, through the process of education. I love it. And we can get all of this information. Is it on projectinfolit.org? It is. Okay. And right at the top, uh, it says latest research, and there you'll find the full study. And we also produced a video. We have an infographic as well with key findings. Oh. A lot of them I discussed today. Yeah, no, you know what? And it's such, it's so important. And I sit around a, a, a lot of uh, students here at BYU that work on my team um, to do the show. And I just, I, I feel for them because sometimes. I, now, especially, I feel because to think that everything they're learning has about a shelf life of five years, and uh, some of the shocking things they're going to have to go through when they leave—it's um, well, scary. Uh, it really is one of uh, you know our argument. We call these. This is in the series of the passage studies that we did. We also did high school the freshman year um, in these three studies that we did, and um, it's just a tremendous adjustment that we forget as employers, uh, as, Parents. as professors, yeah. that um, somebody's making, and they're coming from diverse backgrounds. By the way, last thing, yeah. we use BYU students in our pilot testing of our survey. Did we skew the data? No, you were good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Sometimes great. we skew the data. We have that. We always pilot test our instruments, and that's good. <laughs> uh, somebody on the team knew a little, lot of BYU students. Oh, that's great. Grads, actually. Oh, and, great. Um, they had a lot of really good comments for improving the instrument. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we're helping. Um, Dr. Allison J. Head, thank you so much for your great work, and uh, look forward to having you back on the show to keep uh, learning from you. Great. Thank you, Matt. My Thank you. Total pleasure. You bet. Take care. Great work. Everybody, go to the website, projectinfolit.org. Project Info Lit for Project Information Literacy, projectinfolit.org. And you can learn more about uh, the studies they've been doing on you know, how to launch, how to, how to get out, and what's going to happen when uh, these kids are done with college and what they need to know. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show Basic, real solutions, folks, uh, to help you with your real-life issues. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. You know, again, it comes down to learning. You're only as good as your ability to learn and grow and develop and change and do what you need to do to make things work. That's why we bring you this show. Uh, We'll be back. More ideas, more information to lift you to a higher level. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is 
the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. If you missed any of the earlier hours of the show, you got to get on iTunes, on TuneIn, get to Stitcher, download it. However you download podcasts, we're on we're on many of those uh, sources. All you got to look up is the Matt Townsend Show, and you'll have access, easy access, or just go to byuradio.org. This is the program where we give you the latest, greatest headlines, research, the things you need to know to make your life a little easier and to be able to make the difficult decisions in life. Now, if we could only solve that cough of yours. If we could just get this cough to go away. It's it's a cough that is so intricately placed in my lungs, I can't even access it to cough it out. Wow. It's not, it's, I can't cough it out, but it tickles, and so then I start hacking, and it doesn't go anywhere. Ooh, you've got the tickly cough. The tickly cough. Which I'm sure is, it's a form of tuberculosis. Really? They call it tickly TB. You didn't get your TB shots, huh? I think I did, hmm. actually. But uh, I don't know what it is. So you will hear me coughing in the background. I, I, the only way I cannot be picked up on mic would be to leave the building. And then hmm. the problem is I have to run out, and that just makes me cough more. That's one idea, though. Leave the building. We might want to leave that one on the table. But it's like you want me to leave. Huh? It, it seems like you... Want me to leave? No. No. Come on. Okay. We got a great show. We will be replaying an interview we did about the five toxic ways relationships are ruining your life. So it's, I guess it's more about the relationships that are toxic that you need to watch out for. You mean the relationship with the used car salesperson? Yeah. The uh, accountant? Yeah, the one that prepares your tax plan, yeah. Not my accountant. I'm married to my accountant. She's fantastic. She's incredible. And we still, Terry and I talk about this all the time, we still can't believe she married you. Don't tell her that, please. She didn't take that into account. Yeah. Apparently not a great accountant. Right. Whoa. Boy, our studio audience today, very uh, vocal. They're very pro-me today. It's kind of weird. They always tend to be pro-you. Yeah. It's like they're always on your side of the board. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. We also will um, be getting to BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. I'm going to get an update from Spencer Linton about their loss. Jeff and Spencer are on the same uh, softball team. They got destroyed. Were. The team ended the season Horribly. Horribly. I mean, they were routed. It was bad. But we'll see if uh, Jerem Jordan, also known as Jerome mm. Jordan, how he did because they won. and um, They played the team that slaughtered us. And we'll see if they came out victorious or not, which would, I think you know, would be sad or humiliating if Jerem's team killed the team that mercy ruled you guys. Hmm. And I'm not trying to create competition here. I'm just saying that would be just embarrassing. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Kind of awkward. Uh, Notice the crowd got really quiet. Yeah, they did. Did you notice that? Yeah. They're in contemplation. So Jeff got quiet too. 
By the way, today Jeff showed me his leg. I'm sorry. With the sluffage and mm. the and the, he got that grass burn. Ooh. There was no grass. He got the dirt. That I burn. recall. He got a dirt burn. And it's, don't don't slide. Let it's, me just tell you, it ain't pretty. It's not a pretty leg. Not getting paid. Don't slide. I've seen a lot of legs it. in my time. This was this was not a pretty leg. Well, it is still attached, so I do have that going for me. I would say barely. But should it be though? Yeah. I mean, there comes a point where you just need to. I mean, I'm not that kind of doctor, but if I run, I guess if I had a if I had like a if I had a, a saw, I'd remove your leg right now. Uh, against my will or well, with no. my permission. I mean, if you wanted to live, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, all that straight ahead. I don't think it's gangrenous, though, because it, there was no green in it. No, the meta honey, I think, killed all the gangrene. Well, it's got to be green if it's gangrene, right? That's Yeah, it's got to be green to, to black. Okay. Yeah. Yours is just green, actually turning more to a turquoise. Kind of an F, yeah, a beautiful turquoise. It changes colors, too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a mood leg. It's a mood leg. In fact, if you want to go put your hand on it, Terry, you can ask a question. <laughs> no, no, it'll be fine. Okay. Just checking with you on that. That's good. Thanks. So uh, we've got all that straight ahead, plus some crazy empty news, we call it. Uh, empty meaning not empty, not not without, you know, substance. substance yeah. But empty meaning MT, Matt Townsend news. News you didn't know you needed to, to know. Like today, uh, a one-armed clown had a machete taped to his amputated arm. Oh, wow. We'll tell that scary story. Yeah. Plus, burglars disguise themselves as ghosts to get by security cameras. I mean, it's a scary... Mm, it's innovative. We got a lot of scary news today. Yeah. So we'll get to all of that straight ahead. But first, to the real headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry, that we should be worried about? A rare late summer tornado smashed into a shopping district of Tulsa early Sunday, just after hours after it was packed with people, sending more than two dozen people to hospitals, including two with life-threatening injuries, many of them from restaurants that were either preparing to close or were still open. No deaths were reported from the tornado that struck shortly after 1 a.m. in the midtown area of Tulsa, According to city officials, National Weather Service said the tornado was rated as an EF2 with wind speeds of 111 to 135 miles per hour. Huh. Right downtown Tulsa, it looks like. Right. Wow. So they're still uh, recovering from that. Everything from our heating systems to our toothbrushes are plugged in and connected to the internet. Smartphones are glued to the palms of our hands, yet Americans are using less electricity than we did 10 years ago. Wow. It says overall res- back. residential electrical sales have declined 3% from 2010 to 2016, 7% on a per capita basis. <clears throat> According to data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration, our numerous gadgets are all getting more efficient, so they're less of a drain on residential electrical bills. And our devices are also getting smaller. Most TVs are now flat and require less energy to operate than the giant TVs of your, you know, back when you were a kid, Matt. Back in your time, yeah. Uh, TVs in general are also disappearing from Ameri- American households, which we talked about right. a little bit last week, because Americans spend less time watching TV. Instead, we spend more time online, increasingly on laptops and tablets, which are smaller and more efficient with their batteries. Uh, most importantly, we're spending more time on our smartphones, which are really small. Eventually, the fact that everyone will have the uh, rechargeable device will counter efficiency gains, though, causing a net electricity consumption increase from 2030 to 2040, according to the Energy Department. Hmm. So in 2030 to 2040, we won't have those, you know, we're, we're, we're saving energy because they're smaller devices. Everyone has a small device. We'll start using more energy at that point. Oh, yeah. Unless, of course, they make smarter batteries, which they won't. 
Well, maybe by then. Nah, we'll see. Um, Apparently, all the zombie movies and TV shows were right. The University of uh, Leicester in England, where a group of students ran a number of uh, and conceded that just after 100 days, fewer than 300 people will be left alive on the planet in the event of a zombie apocalypse. Wow. 100 days, there'd be less than 300 people left on the planet. But that's not... That's not going to happen, right? I mean... I don't know. The paper was published in a peer-reviewed student journal designed to let students practice publication, which is why the paper about hypothetical zombie survival was accepted for publication at all. Not that it necessarily makes its scientific method any less rigorous. The students use the SIR model. What's that? SIR? Do you know what they've used? uh, SIR model... Sir model? It's I have a no sir, idea. no idea. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know if you... Yeah, no. I, okay, so they use that model to predict the spread of the disease, which is a standard model in epidemiology used oh. to predict the rates at which infection spreads. Yeah, my infection, the infectious disease uh, calculation tools, right. are, I haven't used them So it's me. how those, it looks at how they spread and how the diseases die off. Using this method, students plugged in their zombie data. The data assumes that the zombie can find one person each day and that it has a 90% chance of infecting that person. The yeah. model shows that after 100 days, the non-zombie population would stand at 273 people who would be outnumbered a million to one by zombies. Whoa. Yeah, I think the numbers are wrong because the zombie has to actually catch you and they're slow moving, right? And Super I can, slow. And I can always use a gun to shoot Depends. them in their There's head. There's different types. There's fast moving ones and slow moving ones. Oh, did they calculate? I'm not sure slow? if that's part Maybe of the an deal. average speed. But it says though, on the bright side, those 273 remaining humans could outlive the zombies because eventually they'd start running out of food source because they can't grow more humans. Right. Good point. It's right? a really good point. So the zombies would die out. We'd have 273 people left to reestablish the human population. Man, I'd want to be one of them. I don't think you'd make it though. Why? In fact, we've already got some audio prepared of what you would sound like as a zombie. Really? Hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what I would sound like. But I'd also be coughing. If you're already slow moving as a zombie, are you slower moving? Yeah, like what if you're like if you're an aged zombie, do yeah. you move slower I'm not sure. than the young zombie? Or do you get like some of that, you know, zest it in seems life like, and move faster? Well, well, yeah, when you're chasing a meal, you'd seem like you'd pick up your More motivation that way. I'm not sure. I huh. think, you know, like when you go blind, your hearing gets better. Does it? Or when you go deaf, your sight goes better? I'm not sure. So I've... I think as a zombie, what goes, your, what, yeah, what goes your sense of taste would be better. But huh. have you seen a zombie? Do they look like they have a great sense of taste? Because it's almost like they'll eat anything. So you don't think they're too picky? No. Hmm. I think they'll eat anything. Well, that would be great. That would be a great sketch. Just a zombie that is picky. The picky zombie. The anal zombie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this one looks really much. old. Have you heard of the swineapple? Once. It's a recipe. It's, Had it once. It's online. Swineapple. And it's a swineapple. Like a, a pig, apple, cobbler. Yeah. Pineapple. So people have a problem with Hawaiian pizza, right? The who, ham, who, pineapple who? mix. People, I think it's, it's, we, we've done a study on the yeah, show. Yeah. That proves that you should put pineapple on pizza. Just, Wrong. It's controversial. It causes people to want to fight. Yeah. Um, but then there's the swineapple. It's a foodie creation. Okay. This sounds exciting. That has whipped internet users into a frenzy, mm. apparently. The Sweet. experimental dish has gained attention and uh, home cook people are, people are posting this online, you know, okay. with your Instagrams and stuff. So basically, it's a porky dish 
It's created by <coughs> latticing the outside of a pineapple with bacon and stuffing the inside of the pineapple with chunks of boneless pork loin. Oh, it sounds perfect. So you have this like pineapple and there's some pineapple in the inside like the, the pineapple. Core of the pineapple would be pork loin. Yeah, and then it's outside is wrapped uh, in bacon. Yeah. Spineapple. Swineapple. Mm. Sounds fantastic. I mean I let's do that. Put that on the pizza. I'm not even gonna read these comments. They're not even not mm. even it says looks like it would be awesomeness if it could only actually stand up to the taste of the pineapple. What do you mean? Like, apparently this person thinks that the pineapple would overpower the bacon. No. No? No. Not possible? No. Bacon's so subtle. (laughs) It's such a subtle... I think what you do is you cut those into slices, and then you you put that on any kind of... You can put it on anything, not even just pizza. I don't think it sits subtly in your stomach, though. Bacon? Yeah. No. That's why you bit it. Sometimes you got to get bacon bits, then it's more subtle. One poster advises cooks to put their stuffed pineapple into the oven to roast for five hours until the bacon shell is golden and crispy. It oh, sounds so good. And it would kill you. But tell me you couldn't put that on anything. You could put it on anything, and it would make it better. What, wrapping bacon? Anything, and pineapple. On anything. Okay. See, we Cooked did, pineapple? Are you kidding? We, we did a Thanksgiving where my wife shows up with Brussels sprouts. Yeah, that's weird. Just to just because she knows I like them, and she was annoyed that that you know were you like she had to do it. So she wrapped all the Brussels sprouts in bacon. Well, that would make yeah, I would eat that. Everyone consumed the Brussels. Even my father consumed the Brussels sprouts. They didn't know what was hidden underneath, though. Yeah, they thought it was probably pineapple. Yeah, they're eating like, oh, these are really good. My wife told them like, what? This is a, this is a Brussels sprout. Well, then they, how did then you... they cut you out of your will once they found yeah, out right. what was inside. How did you get? To like Brussels sprouts. My wife cooked them, and I've never had them, and I'm always someone who's going to try something. You'll try it. And yeah. So you, you learned it as an adult. So, yeah. And so I can, I ate one. and went, huh. So like she'll cook them. My wife will have six because when she was a kid, her mother said, you must eat six. Really? Yeah. So as a, as a fully grown, functional adult, she eats six. My son will complain about the two, and I eat the rest of the bag. Because they're vegetables. They're good for you. Well, but they're not vegetables if they're covered in bacon. They're not bacon. These are just, you know, you just just eat them them straight. Yeah, they're good. Notice how he wasn't willing to touch the mood leg, though. No. Yeah, that's weird. Not going near the mood leg. He'll eat Brussels sprouts, but he won't go near the mood leg, which is a leg that changes colors based on the mood. True. Still not a fan of eggplant, though. No, I'm not either. That's just kind of mushy, not good. No. That's just, yeah. What about eggplant pizza? Never. No. Mm. Why? That's just ruining a really good staple. Pizza. <laughs> um, speaking of one-armed clowns, uh, a man accused of strolling down a road in Maine wearing a black hooded sweatshirt and a clown mask and brandishing a machete that was taped to his amputated arm. He's been arrested. Huh. Thank heavens. Speaking of, think, speaking of vegetables you don't want to eat... Maine police, state police say 31-year-old Corey Berry of Hollis was arrested Tuesday and charged with criminal threatening. By the way, who who tapes a machete to your amputated arm? And did, yeah. he, did he do it or did someone That's else? That's a great question. Could you do that? Is it physically possible to tape that to your know. arm? Hey, Ma- look, Jerry, I'm going to need some help with you taping this machete. Is there an accomplice they should be looking for also? Could have had yeah. a tape dispenser. That's a good point. Uh, police say Barry was first spotted in Hollis, but then fled into the woods. 
Oh, that's even creepier. So you got a guy <laughs> wearing black in the woods with a mask, a clown mask. He was taken into custody after re-emerging in Waterboro. Police say Barry told officers that he was copying previous previous clown sightings as a prank. Did anybody tell him he's like a year or two late? He missed that. Fad. He missed the whole cl- clown fad. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, this is a this is just an interesting little side note. Barry may have been drunk. No. Yeah, Come he may on. have been. No way. Why do you always go there? I don't know, but he may have been. And, but was he really an amputee? Ooh, yes, yes. that's saw, another I, great question. I saw the photographs. <laughs> he was. I don't know if you can fake a clown face. You could fake an amputee. Yeah, but would you? Seems I mean, like I, I think the real operative word is drunk. Hmm. So, by the way, you you trust a drunk clown amputee with his arm all taped up with a machete. I wouldn't trust that guy. No. By the way, interesting other point, story not out of Florida. That's a story out now, of Maine. Now, wait a minute. It's out of Maine. I might not trust him to babysit for me, but, you know, to cut up that bacon pineapple, why not? He's got the machete. Yeah, but he's also got it taped to his Well, plus he amputative. has the mask on, so I know he's not going to breathe or cough all over it. So huh? I'll bring up the cough. See there, what he does. There's some positive angles here. And he comes fully equipped to cut up your, snine, what, swinopole? Yeah, the swinopole. Swinopole. He's fully equipped. Which I don't, you know what, I have a family friend that um, just bought a cute little pig as a, as a pet. Yeah. And so now those, those. bacon's a whole different thing for them. <laughs> it's like, it's a family thing. So they, I, I, I don't know whether to laugh anymore at pig stuff. It is pretty funny. It's kind of sad. Okay, we are, we'll, uh, we're going to continue the journey, folks. That's, that's our goal here on the show. Up next, five ways that, uh, to help you detoxify some of your relationships, the ones that may be costing you more than just some sad, uh, sad, sad moments. Detoxifying, up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You know, if you get too close to toxic chemicals, they burn you. If you inhale them, they you can get addicted to them. If you ingest them, they can even, uh, you know, cause problems in your body. The same goes for toxic relationships. They're called toxic for a reason because they can be harmful. If you get too close to toxic people, they burn you out. And, uh, you know, you might get unnecessarily attached. They can actually cause physical stress symptoms like headaches and other problems. But how do you know if a relationship is toxic and what if it's some uh, with someone you just can't you know give up because they're like a family member. They're somebody that's been in your life for a while. Well, several months ago we uh, had a great guest on and talked about the relationship, um, the relationship with people that cause uh, some toxicity in your relationships. Uh, Susie Miller was with us, and she's a best-selling author of the book "Listen, Learn, and Love: How to Dramatically Improve Your Relationships in Thirty Days or Less." And we discussed five ways toxic relationships might be ruining your life. I began the interview by pointing out that we all have people in our lives who are emotionally difficult. We do. And what's interesting is for me, who I'm such a positive, uh, 
possibility-oriented person, I actually call myself a possibilitarian, to really look at toxic relationships is important to be able to have actually good relationships with yourself, with others, and with God. So it kind of came around where I began realizing that toxic relationships could be one of the main things that keeps you from enjoying your life and enjoying good relationships. Right. Why, why, is, it, um, why is it so hard for us to pull away from the toxic relationship if they, if they are so harmful? You know, because usually there are people close to us and there's an emotional attachment of some sort. For example, I know I talk a lot about the the suitcase of guilt that, you know, mothers or mother-in-laws pack and send off with their kids when they go to school. And, you know, my kids are grown. They're 30, 28, and 26. And I know they would say, oh, yeah, that's that mom guilt sometimes. And, you know, so I say this from the front end to let people know that just because you might exhibit some of the behaviors that might feel like um, they could, you know, be on the spectrum of toxic, it doesn't mean you're toxic. So I think a lot of times we are enmeshed and, in, and intertwined with people, and so we're not sure how to either pull away and create healthy boundaries because they could be family members, um, or they are people who are in our life for business. We work with them, and so you can't quit your job. So I think identifying toxic relationships and really being able to navigate them and protect yourself in them is you know, one of the best things you can do if you can't leave them. A friendship you might be able to leave right. more easily. Right. And I mean, and this gets even more complicated, too, when that person's your child when that, or that person is, is in an addiction or for some other reason they've become toxic. And then, you real, then it becomes even harder, right? Right, right. So a toxic relationship that consumes your energy is one where you're kind of in that marathon of effort. All of your work, all of your energy, all of your effort is going towards making sure the other person is either okay or happy or sober in some way. And, you know, I say that sober, we're all, you know, addictions can be, you know, to chemicals and, and alcohol, but they could also be to workaholism. I call it churchaholism, you know, any aholism, sure. alcoholism. And so whenever our energy is geared so much toward another person that we think their well-being depends on us, that is not only codependent, but it can become toxic because you're always kind of on hypervigilant mode. You're scanning, and that's exhausting. And so, yes, when that's a child, I teach a lot of my clients that they need to draw some boundaries, and they don't feel good, and they hurt the parent as much as they hurt the kid. Yeah, boundaries are I – mean, but, but again, you need the boundaries to, to, to live, right, to stay Absolutely. alive and healthy. Absolutely. Let me go back to the one I talked about, like the guilt inducer. And I, I really, as I um, thought about our interview today, um, I wanted to make it really clear that you may be exhibiting some of the behavior that we're going to talk about today, but it doesn't mean that you're toxic or you're in a toxic relationship because it has to be the bottom line. So like a controlling or guilt-inducing mother, I'm going to kind of tell myself a little bit here, um, that could be you know, really oppressive, or it could be the fact that every teenager thinks their parents are controlling because they're not <laughs> letting them do whatever they want. Right. And so you have to put yourself on the spectrum as you're evaluating your relationships of, is this just a behavior I need to deal with? Or is this toxicity the bottom line? If, it, if they can't, if they're not in control, then the relationship is over or ruined or devastated. If, you know, the bottom line is I need to make sure my, you know, son or daughter or husband stays sober, that's a bottom line versus a behavior. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, Matt? totally. And, yeah, and you don't want, because it would be easy, it would be easy to just either brush all of this off, like that's not me or I don't need that, or it would be easy for some to beat themselves up about this. Absolutely. And that won't, that won't help you fix it necessarily, right? 
Oh, no, I think that would make it worse. Right. I think that um, I believe all growth begins with awareness. And so whenever I start talking about hard things, like, people can kind of see themselves. It's almost like, oh, my gosh, am I getting this germ because I was in the airport um, <laughs> and I heard people coughing. So you can really easily, as you said, think this is me or this is everybody in my life. And so I want people to step back and go, all right, what's the bottom line? You know, one of the things I've, I talk a lot about at work is you can have people in business who might, you know, they make those comments. They're kind of the belittling comments. They're the, well, you know, you know, Bobby, he never finishes work on time. Or, and they could have a little truth in them, but they're said in a really negative, cutting way, usually in front of other people that really destroy your self-esteem and self-confidence. Well, it's not like you can quit your job, but you can take that comment and reframe it and have some conclusions that you live from. For example, let's say this was Larry who said this about Bobby every time. You know, Larry comes and says these things because Larry's insecure or Larry's trying to belittle me. I'm going to put them in the kind of recycling you know, trash can and not let them impact me because I really can't quit my job. Right. So I think there's that aspect of managing or navigating you know, toxic relationships. I think a lot of uh, clients I've worked with, a lot of trainings I've done for corporations, they talk about toxic bosses. Mm. You know, they're never happy. Well, you can't look at your boss and go, stop being toxic. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to work. You are being naughty. Yeah, you can't. It's not like it's not it's not something you can control as fully. But you, I guess you also ought to make sure you recognize that it's toxic. Right. And, agreed. and, and it's going to have a consequence on you. One of one of your five um, ways that that toxicity kind of ruins your life is it impacts your self-esteem, your self-confidence. Right. It really does. And I think this is the first place. It's almost like I think about kind of being in poisonous gas. You don't really realize it when it first comes into your, like, system, if you think about it physically. Like, we're very aware of green stickers being on chemicals our kiddos shouldn't, you know, ingest. Or we can we have radon meters in our home. Or we can smell gas on the stove when it gets to a certain level. By then, it's already causing trouble. And so when you have toxic people, you have to have what I call, like, this imaginary green sticker where you first become aware whenever I'm around this person – I feel belittled. Mm. I find myself um, feeling you know, defensive in a personally attacked way. And so I think everything begins with awareness. So yeah. now I'm aware that I don't really enjoy my interactions with them. I leave feeling worse about me. And then you kind of acknowledge, well, what's that about? Is, is it that I have some self-growth to do? Or is it that they are really poking holes in what might be a healthy self-esteem? Yeah, interesting. And, you know, when people um, hit us physically, we do feel the impact. Let's say if you use that. And so you might just rear back like a boxer and then kind of lean forward again. Well, emotionally or verbally, you have the same impact. And so you have to acknowledge, yeah. hey, that happened and that wasn't about me. And then the third A would be action. So now what's the action I want to take? Well, I'm going to have as little interaction with this person as possible. Or I'm going to remember when they come at me that they're kind of wearing that green Mr. Yuck sticker. And I'm going to, you know, take my, you know, personal self and tuck it away and be very professional and kind of removed mm. so that I'm not going to take on their poisonous gas. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it really is. It's, a, it's, it's an empowering mindset to sit there and, and recognize it, use the emotion to recognize it, and then build a plan like you're showing us. Let's take a break. More with Susie Miller and, uh, and five ways uh, toxic relationships are ruining your life and really what you can do about it. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you love longer and uh, live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, Toxic Relationships. You know, they're there, and you know you can't always just abandon them, right? you got to learn how to negotiate and manage, work your way uh, through some of these relationships. If it's your boss, you can't just run. If it's a child that uh, is toxic for you, you can't always just abandon them and kick them out. At some point, you got to learn to... Um, to, to recognize the toxicity and figure out some methods, some tools to help you with that. Uh, we've, we've asked our guest to join us. Susie Miller is here, and she is um, the author of the best-selling book, um, Learn, or Listen, Learn, Love, How to Dramatically Improve Your Relationships in 30 Days or Less. And uh, we're covering her article, Five Ways Toxic Relationships Are Ruining Your Life. Susie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Good to be back. Great to have you. Talk to me um, more about... What are some other things we need to know about the toxic relationship? I mean, it does impact our self-esteem and our confidence, but it also, I found, and you've talked about it in your article, it does consume your energy. You really, these people sap you. They really do. I think there's that idea of we all have energy that we put out and we take in, and it is a you know kind of fluid field no matter what your belief are, you know, beliefs are. Science shows that. And so there's this idea of when you spend time with people, you know, when you go to something and your people are excited and they're, you know, positive or it's, there's this energy and excitement and you feel better and you, you know, you leave in a gathering, and you're like, I can do it. Or, you know, you feel just positive about things when you're around negative or even just something as simple as your team loses. You're like, oh, bummer. And so if you think about that very simple, you know, picture, mind picture, and you take that over to relationships, there's people that you're with. And when you leave them, you just have a more hopeful countenance. You're more positive about the world, you kind of like yourself better, right. and you like them better. It's a good interaction. It's a kind of emotional deposits that are positive. When you're with people who are toxic, it is a very draining and exhausting, and kind of what I talk about, it's this mind gymnastics, these mental gymnastics of trying to figure out what's going on, how to make things better. You're always on, and you, you kind of get consumed. I had a client um, a couple years back who was very toxic, and they realized this into our work, and thought, you know, I'm spending a lot of time off hours thinking about how to help or how to work or how to protect myself. And in those moments, I had to pause and go, is this a good and wise investment of my time and energy? Mm. And so I think especially at work, when you're, you know, consuming your energy, you've got to be able to say, hmm, you know, you all have those people. Every time we talk, it's all about them. Yeah. How are you? Let me tell you about me. You know, they, you know, they open with the question, how, how was your weekend? And you go, oh, good. And they go, mine too. And it blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. You know, you, but that, that's funny. And you, you can't just shut your door. Like again, at work, there's sometimes you can't leave them. But I guess the key is, is to notice you're being sapped, right? Because if I am, I, if I'm tired and exhausted, then I'll have less reserves and energy to get rid of this person or to get, or to handle their impact on me. It's almost like I have to anticipate, uh, how to handle them, right? I can't just react to it. Yes, and I think that goes back to what I call my three A's. Once you're aware that this person becomes, you know, the energy sapper, and you acknowledge, okay, this isn't because they're in a crisis, this isn't a special instance where they are more needy. We all have times in our lives when we, you know, we require more of people um, versus an ongoing crisis-aholic. Then you can say, all right, I've now labeled, you know, and and identified this person as somebody who I'm really going to leave feeling exhausted. So my action is 
to when I hear them coming in to kind of, you know, you know, put on, you know, like the old Colgate shield or, you know, this idea of the armor of God, the idea of I'm going to have something that's a barrier. Otherwise, the gas that they're pulling off, the energy they're trying to suck from me, is just going to flow out of me. And you do, you get caught yeah. being exhausted. And so then you become reactive. And so, again, having a plan is always a better way. But even if you're three quarters into the conversation and you remember your plan, yeah. oh, wait, I'm going to make a shift here. And so I think you used the word empowering earlier. Yep. I think it really is very empowering when you can categorize, and I don't mean label in a bad way, I want to be real careful here, because we all, you know, have, you know, times when we're needy or controlling or demanding or critical, you're negative, but it's that constancy where you always leave them exhausted, you always leave them feeling, you know, worse, and so I want to make that distinction. Yeah, no, that's huge. We have about a minute left. What would you say is, if there's one thing that I could do today that would make the biggest impact on on managing the toxicity with others and and their impact on me what 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 is the one thing that that tends to pay the biggest dividend i think to be aware that i say this in my book relationships are the currency of today so you're trading in relationships and they are they are the most valuable asset you have so be aware on a daily hourly basis of how you feel being with a person, and if you begin to realize that they fall into this category, to then take some action to draw some boundaries and barriers around them. So again, I think, not to make it too simplistic, Matt, but everything starts awareness. So right. suddenly you're, you're able to say, here's what I think's going on, and then what do I want to do about it? That's great. And again, um, Susie, they can find out more about what you're doing just by going to susiemiller.com. They can. There's lots of resources there. My podcast, the People Skills Lab resources, and there's all a fun ten days to better communication with everyone every time. Free course. Good stuff, Susie. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back. Got to find more uh, ways to deal with the toxicity in our lives. Susie Miller. Um, we're going to take a break, folks. Come back, visit our good buddies up at BYU or down at BYU Sports Nation. See what's going on in their world and what will be coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. The good old days of the organ music at the ballpark. Now it's all digitized. It's all crazy. So uh, we wanted to shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, who both, uh, along with our own Jeff Simpson here uh, on our team, they've all been playing softball. We now are going to wrap up their league. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What happened with you guys? Um... (laughs) I think you asked what's happening with us, guys. Yes, I said that. I've got a really bad cold <laughs> that's not going away. Yeah. Hey, um, I hear you guys played ball and um, we both wrapping lost up. To the same team. Both got worked. Oh, did by you the get worked team. by the same team? We were yeah. wondering, Jerem, how you handled it. The number one overall seed. So the fact that Jerem's team knocked off the top dog to open up tournament play came back to bite us because, in the end. Because then you guys had to play them. So you guys lost your morning game. We won our morning game. Yes. And then we were going to potentially play each other had we both won. If you right. But you had to beat the number one but, team. But we had to beat the number one team in the first game. So so we end up playing them in the loser's bracket championship. Ooh. And then winner would play somebody else for the title, have to win twice. We ended up getting blown out as well. So Did, what was your score? My <laughs> team was one advanced further than your t- you know, and the uh BYU TV team. That's oh, <sighs> one game. I was hoping we'd play each other. I really I know, was. I was too. 
We were. I thought that was going to be fun. There was. Gonna, I was going to charge them out. Were, were you really? I, I would. I would yeah. pay to see that. I was going to charge Larry. That would have been great. Yeah. Oh, Yellow that would card, been... yet red card, whatever. What would Let's you go. do if you actually got to the mound? I would have uh, I would have played the role of Robin Ventura and been in a headlock and been punched. Oh, there we go. That's the role I would have played. And I then would somebody have pushed the coach over? Like, uh, who was the Yankees coach that got? <laughs> oh, Don Zimmer? Don yeah, Zimmer. Would somebody, classic moment. Would somebody dude. pull a Zimmer? Pedro Martinez and Don Zimmer? <laughs> yes. Those were Brent, the good old days. Brent Pine would have been our... So, the football uh, Spencer's team got mercy ruled. Did you guys get mercy ruled? We ended up getting mercy ruled, I think. 18 they, to 6. Are they that good? They're really They're good. that good. I don't know how we beat them in that first game. We got up 5 nothing, top of the fifth, and they were, just weren't the same. Wow. In, when we beat them. Yeah. That good teams start to press a little bit. They're swinging too hard. Like Our they, defense was lights out yeah. that day. Yeah, yeah you guys happens. were good that day. It was humid. Our dude was throwing a knuckle. Yeah, a knuckler. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, he's got a good pitch. Does he have a good pitch? Like, mm-hmm. a, like a, how high is the arch? The arch. Is that what they well, call it? The arc? No, the uh, arc. Sure, whatever. Um, he's got like I, a I don't know. 16-foot arc on that knuckler. Sounds good to sounds, me. Sounds really official. The barometric pressure of the knuckleball is Hey, fine. did you guys find it weird that Jeff kept walking around saying, hey, who wants to touch my leg for luck? And he's got a really bad skid mark on his knee because he slid. You, you know who else got a skid mark? Who? This guy. Jerem. J-Dog. In that game, I was like, I need to go all out. Did you First do it? First baseman mishandled the ball, and I, I turned to two to get into second base, and I got there successfully, but at the cost of my throbbing skinned leg now. Now, you know what? It was not worth it. It was an idiotic move. No, it was a dumb move because that never heals because there's an algae on the field that's now part of your leg. Business decisions, Jerem. Come on. I told myself I wouldn't do it because it's just not worth it. Yeah. But in the heat of the moment, yo forgot my principle. You know what's funny is we've been discussing on the show as a doctor if we should amputate Jeff's leg. I think you should. And we're probably going to amputate on tomorrow's show. Oh, that's exciting. So you might want to listen in. It's going to be a great, it's great audio. <laughs> Just give him something to bite on, a piece yeah, of leather, and I then have his, have his dad come in and hold him. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be weird. Hey, that sounds like a really good story. Um, uh, Hall of Fame, any surprises in the NFL Hall of Fame? Anybody? I mean, Jerry Jones. Does Jerry Jones deserve to be in the NFL Hall I of Fame? I think so. He's an icon. He's done a lot for the league. Like he, a lot of the stuff that he has done is now just coming to light. But yeah. he really helped a lot of the owners and the progression of the league. And Yeah, Mort- I think he deserves to be there. More than Raiders fans should thank him. Yeah, for sure. Getting on to Vegas. Oh, yeah, really? Absolutely. Did Every- he help that? Oh, he's the most, if not, he's one of, if not the most influential owner in the That's in cool. The, in the Nuffle. Probably in, well, in, I mean. In the Nuffle. Next to uh, the family that owns the Steelers, and we're talking prob- – I mean, those are the two guys, right? That's huge. Huge. Plus Jason Bobby Taylor. Kraft, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Kraft. Yeah. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson got in. Kurt Warner. All deserving. Morton My Anderson. Kenny, Kenny Eastley from Kenny Seahawks. Eastley. Jason Taylor. Yeah. Some pretty good – a.k.a. Brian Keel. <laughs> he looks like former – He totally Brian does look Brian like Keel. Brian Keel. Yeah. I was like, good wow, I didn't know Brian Keel got in there. Yeah. Um, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Let's get tight with the tight ends. We talk with Matt Bushman, emerging potential superstar who hasn't even played a game for BYU. Wow. Plus the tight ends coach, Steve Clark, what he said about what Bushman could do this year for BYU. Yeah, and also what he said the tight ends will never be good enough at. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Never. Are we, are we, um, as as we go more, I guess, pro style, is that going to play more tight end work? I mean, is that going to give more job? I mean, the discussion of, yes, the discussion of the tight end has been really 
relevant for a long time at BYU, but BYU hasn't had a good tight end since 20, 2009. Mm. 2009. Who's that? Who's that? Dennis Pitta and Andrew Jordan. Oh, yeah, there you hey, go. Don't leave Connie Friel out of this. Mm. 2009. <laughs> like a guy who changes the game. Yeah. You know, BYU hasn't had that guy since 2009. They've had some potential guys, but they haven't done anything. And you are what you do, not what you say. Yeah. So BYU is saying, and we are saying, more importantly, not BYU, we are saying that BYU is going to have a breakout year with the tight end. That's and huge. specifically this Matt Bushman guy, who Blaine Fowler said is the real deal. He's the real deal. We talked to him, his first interview on BYU Sports Nation today. By the way, my, my coach, I, I was never a tight end, but my coach always said I was a loose end. Yeah, that you got Yeah, that's that's a little personal. There I are did, a few things to describe you. I did not know. I did not know what he meant by that, but Wild I think it's because I was the I was the loose end they had to tie uh, up. Insano. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Insano, <laughs> Spanish for the Nino. Insano. Yeah. Anything else on your show other than tight endery? Sourcy sauce today. Endery. Anonymous college football coaches give unfiltered thoughts on the state of BYU football, and really? you probably won't like it. Anonymous coaches. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do we yep. go with anonymous sources? That's what Trump's been asking. They're so anonymous. I'm just kidding. Their It'll anonymity is so big. Athlon Sports. It's a witch work. hunt. <laughs> yeah, that turned out well in uh, Salem. In Salem. In Salem. That, it's going to get yeah. crazy. So this is going to probably tick a few uh, listeners off. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. The emotions, the emotions will be high today. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. That's a good tease right there. So there you go. That's good. Okay, the show's five minutes away, gentlemen. Knock them dead. Best of luck. Remember who you are. And by the way, a lot of t- a lot of talk about tight endery, which is huge. Again, I don't know. I I played little league football. Not to brag, not to brag, but I won uh, most valuable, not most valuable player. That would have been great. Uh, best sportsmanship. Thank you. Thank you all for the polite golf clap. By the way, do you think I should be sad that Jerem lost or, or happy knowing that we both got creamed by the same team? They just, yeah. I, I think I'd be sad because they they got creamed after you. you know, so they, I guess they went a little farther. So I think we scored just about as many runs. I think those scores were identical. But those people did it after having already exerted all of their efforts the first game. They still had that much steam left yeah. over. See, that's the difference. That's the difference. Well, you know. We didn't I even wear them down for Jerem's team. No, no. In fact, you probably just pumped them up, you know, because then they just kept going. They had their Nike pumps on. And you, you know what? the little I basketballs think, that's on That's right. I think it's good that you, you helped warm them up. Either way, I look at it this way. Either way, both you and Jerem's team, you're both losers. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I mean that in the best way. I mean, you, you're winners in my eyes, but you're losers by the score. You're okay, Jeff. You're okay. But you did get to get home in time because you got blown away. You got to get home in time to get on those sprinklers. Yes. Did that all turn out okay? I think it was an answer to my wife's prayers. I know. I think your wife really wanted those sprinklers taken care of. But it still took us till about two to finish them. Wow. Okay. You probably need to find somebody that knows how to do sprinklers. Well, I pr- was probably the one slowing my father-in-law yeah, down. Yeah, that was it. Because you kept asking, hey, is that the water thing? Can we turn the water on? Can so, we turn the water on? So water comes out of this end, right? Right. Yeah, that must have been hard for him. To get that through with you. Um, Crazy uh, little story about burglars. 
They disguise themselves as ghosts. A video has gone viral on a Chinese social media site of a thief trying to pull off a daring robbery, making uh, like a sneaky ghost. Surveillance video from inside a residential building shows the robber peeking his head around the corner after climbing up a flight of stairs, only to discover that the security camera was watching him from the hallway. However, he wasn't about to let something like surveillance camera get in his way of his burglary. So about 20 minutes later, the man returned, this time dressed as a ghostly apparition, as he slowly shuffled past the camera. Police discovered that to make his ingenious disguise, he had to cut down a curtain on the first floor. However, it didn't quite have the intended effect since the camera had already seen the man's face. Whoops. Blasted. Officers tracked down the robber, who actually didn't manage to steal anything from the building. However, during the interrogation, he did admit to something other, uh, some other crimes, and uh, he was then detained. I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for that pesky security camera. <laughs> Good one, Shaggy. The perfect ending to uh, Scrooby-Doo. So our hero story of the day, uh, as you know, we always like to end on a happy hero note. Uh, one of several hikers who formed a human chain across this river swollen with flash flood waters in the Utah desert said Thursday it was a powerful thing to watch people help each other through such a dangerous situation. Uh, Yonatan Gonzalez said rainfall upstream transformed the calm water into a hot uh, that was on a hot and sunny day at Utah's Red Rock Zion National Park into a waist high rushing river of danger. There's no way out. Um, You just have to go through, said Gonzalez, 40 of Maui, Hawaii. He and a group of about 15 family members turned back when they saw the current become strong during a river hike known as the Narrows. I've done this hike before. Dangerous place. Once the water comes rushing in, it gets pretty scary and dangerous. Anyway, several hikers formed a human chain across the river to get everyone to safety. And uh, that's what happens when, you know, the things sneak up on you and they could kill you. It's probably time to look to each other and uh, hopefully make it out together alive. That's why you got to be careful, folks, because no matter how independent and free you think you are, in the end, you're probably going to need somebody or a hand from somebody. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. This, uh, our goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. BYU Sports Nation is up next.